You are listening to the Conversations in Speech Pathology podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Steppen, and this is episode 33. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of the CSP Podcast. So glad to have you back. For you first-time listeners, thank you for joining me today. Wow, today is going to be quite an episode. Um, This is, for me at least, the episode of the year. Um, It's been the most fascinating show I've ever produced, and it's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful that I even started this podcast in the first place. Now, at the same time, this is by far the most anxiety-provoking episode I've ever released, And for anyone familiar with today's topic, it should be abundantly clear why this is so. Yep, I'm talking about RPM, Rapid Prompting Method. No! No! (laughs) Now, um, look, before some of you pick up your smartphones to tweet, at Jeff Steppen, promotes pseudoscience, hashtag SLP problems, please at least do me the favor of actually listening to today's episode. Please. Okay, thanks. So let me now present to you, the listener, how it was that I came upon today's topic and, of course, introduce today's guests. Like most SLPs out there working with children on the autism spectrum, I get asked from time to time about my opinion on any number of different treatment methodologies, whether it's ABA or hippotherapy, to thankfully in the past vaccinations. And just recently, I was even asked about chelation of all things. So like any good speech therapist, I always provide extended opinions about those therapies that work directly on speech and or language, such as PEX, ABA, and floor time, and try to adhere to citing best practices whenever possible. Well, over the last three to five years, I've been asked more than once by a mother of a long-term client what I thought about RPM. Did I know anything about it? Did I know anyone who had used it? My answer was always the same. Yes, I had heard of it. I also informed the family I work with that I didn't personally know of any therapist who has ever used it in this state or any other. I have read about it on message boards once in a while. The post is usually a speech therapist asking other therapists if they've had experience with it because said parent took their child to an RPM provider or perhaps even its founder a woman by the name of Soma. And I probably ended my conversation with a parent by saying that there is no known current evidence base for using RPM and something along the lines of buyer beware. So fast forward to winter of this year, 2016. That same mother one day tells me about another boy in my client's classroom with limited verbal abilities who has been using RPM and doing so allegedly quite successfully. I, of course, shrug. Sometime later, during another session, she shows me a video that the family posted on their newly created website to document their son's progress and share his successes with extended family. It was a video of the boy. His name is Benjamin. Is the what law? The Constitution is the what law. He was with his therapist, Kristen. And she was teaching him about the U.S. Constitution, and he was answering questions using a letter board. So what law? H. 
Ready? H1. I watched this video trying my best to pick it apart. Of course, that was after watching it about five times trying to absorb what was actually going on here. Why was Kristen orally spelling out words for Benjamin? Why was she also sometimes tracing letters on his back? Why wasn't she using any visuals when teaching the lesson? If you look at this video, and I'll link to it on my show page, what you see is a type of autism therapy that is quite unrecognizable from anything at least that I've ever seen. And after seeing this video, I was still skeptical, but at the same time wanting to see more. And then the family posted another video, and then another, and I tried so hard to find the trick, the sleight of hand that would explain what I was seeing. To me, it was kind of like trying to learn a magician's secret. And this doesn't mean I thought Benjamin's parents were trying to pull a fast one. I thought maybe they had learned a method to prompt language that looked and felt real, but was, in fact, inauthentic. So why was I trying so hard to pick apart RPM? Well, here's what I knew about RPM up to this point in time. RPM was developed by a woman named Soma to help her own son, Tito, who is nonverbal and autistic. Soma had a background in chemistry, not in linguistics, speech pathology, or neurology. She developed her own system of educating her son out of necessity, and in the process opened up a means for Tito to communicate. This communication system commonly involves the use of a stenciled letter board and something called the teach-ask paradigm, whereby a lesson is presented to the student followed by comprehension questions. It could take some time for students to reach proficiency. There's apparently a lot of variation in growth, that happens with a lot of therapies, though. And most students spend their early therapy sessions learning to make basic choices in a field of two. This is where the ripping of paper comes in, for those of you familiar with the method. Anyway, Soma and Tito garnered national attention when they were featured on the news program 60 Minutes. I remember seeing this some years ago. But as impressive as that episode seemed to me at the time, I, of course, knew better. No, I'm not going to talk about evidence-based practice right now. I'll save those comments for the end of the show. What I do want to talk about is the consternation and anger over something seemingly related to RPM. Yes, it seems that you can't talk about RPM without dragging that other therapy method into the same discussion. Come on, everyone. Now say it with me. Facilitated communication. Oh, no, no, no. Ah, yes. Facilitated communication or FC for short. RPM and FC go together like RDI and floor time, right? Okay, maybe not. For those of you unaware, FC has become the poster boy in our field for pseudoscience. FC, also known as supported typing, gained prominence in the 90s as an AAC method for individuals with a number of developmental disabilities, including autism, only to be later debunked as a sham treatment. Now, this in itself is viewed as a flawed statement, to say the least, by many people continuing to promote its use. For those of you familiar with FC, the fundamental problem has always been thus. How can one be sure the user's message is ever authentic if someone is physically supporting the user's arm during typing? Hence the name facilitated. So, despite the controversy, FC is still alive and well today. Just Google the term yourself and you'll find plenty of entertaining reading material. Suffice it to say, RPM does not consider itself to be the ugly stepchild of FC. They'll tell you that its methods and orientation are not similar. And so for as long as I've known about RPM, I've tied it to FC because at some point someone, and I don't know who the first was, equated RPM with FC. 
and it stuck. So I was in fact persuaded, primed even, to ignore whatever I thought might have been happening in front of my eyes. Essentially, I dismissed Tito using that letterboard, or computer as it were, to communicate. So what changed for me after watching those recent videos of Benjamin? Well, two things. One, it was the first time I had seen someone real using RPM. Let me explain. You see, Tito using RPM is one thing. It's the same thing when I watch a random kid on YouTube using RPM as well. But seeing someone in my own community using it, well, that's something else. It's sort of like the difference between seeing the guy who won the Powerball lottery on the evening news and actually knowing someone who knows the winner. It somehow made it more real for me. But here's the other thing, and, and this is really crucial. Nobody was touching Benjamin's arm or moving his letterboard. So let me now introduce Ashling and Jeff, the parents of Benjamin. Ashling and Jeff live in suburban Chicago. They're both college-educated, whip-smart, and knew full well the criticisms of RPM before they even began treatment. They have seen it all, and this is their story. Uh, well, Benjamin was your perfect baby, infant. I mean, he had your perfect 9, 10 APGAR scores. Uh, he was a very happy um, child, very placid. Where compared to our other son, who is also on the autism spectrum, he was one of your kids who like cried for the first four months of your, his life. But Benjamin was really um, sweet, happy kid. And he. there was definitely no point where we say that he regressed. He just never really caught up. I mean, he was always on the lower end of like at 15 words, if you had to say 15, and I can't remember the exact numbers, mm -hmm. words, he was saying the lowest of the range, mm -hmm. but no red flags. I mean, I think I remember at our, our was it our 15 month um, doctor's appointment, the doctor in Chicago, which was actually surprising for someone in the medical profession actually delayed the MMR because he wasn't talking enough. Um, wow. She said, and this was back in what, 2003? Benjamin's four, because he was born in 2002. Yeah. And she said, oh, let's hold off on the MMR till 18 months. But anyway, um, he he passed the MCAT. Like that, I think they've revised it now, but you know, mm -hmm. he was playing with stuff, all of that. Um, and then... We really didn't notice, I mean, he was on the, he was quiet, but, you know, we played it to, well, Jeff didn't talk till later, so he's just like his dad, and, mm -hmm. um, and of course, he was our first child, but at about two and a half, we sent him to a one-day morning program, like preschool program, and the first day we brought him, they wanted to know if we spoke English at home. And we're like, yeah, English is our first language. Mm -hmm. And then the next week I brought him, they wanted to know if um, he had a hearing problem. And we're like, no, no, there's nothing wrong with him. And then they suggested we get him assessed. And we're like, why do we need to assess him? Yeah. And I think we talked to family and nobody came out and said anything. But like Jeff's parents, I think, suggested, oh, yeah, that might be a good idea, but we didn't. I mean, I think I might have mm -hmm. called the school district and they said he would have to have an ex psychological evalu evaluation. And we're like, well, he doesn't need that. So we kind of ignored it. And mm -hmm. 
Jeff's sister-in-law is a speech pathologist and oh, okay. um, the Christmas, we see them a couple of times a year um, at Jeff's folks house mm-hmm. that Christmas that Benjamin had just turned three. Um, I mean, and it was the perfect way to hear it. I mean, out of pure love, she said to us, you know, I really think you should get Benjamin assessed. I think he's showing signs of autism mm-hmm. and we, so he had turned three. So of course we're past early intervention at that point. So we, um, as soon as we got home, we called, I think we called our doctor and he suggested we go to the school district. So we got an appointment sometime in January. And then the doctor suggested based on the school's assessment, then we'd go down the medical route. So that took about three months to get assessed yeah, at going. the school. Now, I'm just, just to back up a little bit, motor milestones, was he walking around the age of one or so? Were, were those looking pretty good? Fine motor? Yeah, he... Um, he walked, I mean, he walked at 12 months. He was clumsy. I mean, I remember he loved to read books, which is kind of ironic because now then he, he didn't. I mean, he loved to look at books, I should say. Yeah. Um, but now he's in a kind of version to books, uh, mm-hmm. even though we have discovered he's some rather learned to read. Mm-hmm. But, um, but he walked at 12 months. He was a little clumsy. Like he ended up getting stitches just past his 12-month birthday, mm-hmm. like tripping on something. Um but he, he didn't really crawl. I mean, he kind of did a little crawl, but he kind of went from rolling to walking. Um, fine motor. He loved to play with cups, stack cups. Mm-hmm. He actually, um, you know, he knew letters and he knew numbers. So we, <laughs> he knew shapes. I mean, he could look at things and he, would, he knew like trapezoid, um, parallelogram, all of these yeah, and he would say them. He would say them. Yeah, or he'd be looking yeah. at, a, at a light fixture and he would say, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever shape it was. I mean, he just was 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 fascinated with like more visual. And he um, had a spoken vocabulary at this point. Yeah, he um, he did. I mean, it was small, but he did. Mm-hmm. I mean, you he, can ask for things, uh, foods that he wanted or... Yeah, he could ask. I mean, he just never developed... What he never developed was when you go from like single words to phrases to sentences. Yeah. So he never developed full sentences. Okay. And he could say want cookie. I mean, mm-hmm. even now the phrases are pretty... They're learned phrases like need to go potty or... Mm-hmm. But they're very rote learned phrases. But that development never came. So... Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the one thing that as we've been reflecting back on that stage of his life, um, I did want to emphasize the numbers and letters and shapes. I remember we thought for a fairly brief period of time, this kid is incredibly intelligent. Mm-hmm. And because he's, he was way ahead of the curve on, on those types of, you know, symbolic identification. And um, then after his diagnosis and after the language never developed, I think we we really didn't spend much time thinking that anymore. So we'll come back to that later. Yeah. But, but yeah. at an early age, we did think, well, this kid is really smart. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I, in, I can see how assumptions can be made kind of early on. And then as we kind of come full circle or mm-hmm. kind of challenged a bit. Um, so you took him for a diagnostic evaluation. Was it a, like a developmental pediatrician kind of thing where the... Yeah, we went through the school system first. So they, the school, yeah, we went to the school first Mm -hmm. and then we went and they, which, I mean, for the school to give a diagnosis of autism, 
it's pretty obvious. I mean, like our younger yeah. son didn't get a diagnosis. We had to go to our own private psychologist to get a diagnosis of autism mm-hmm. after he'd been in the, he went through um, early intervention first yeah. and then went through early childhood. But um, Benjamin, they gave him a diagnosis of autism at three. So he was showing more of your classic, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, n- reduced eye contact, um, playing on his own. Um, he, he was fascinated with spinning things. He would spin cups, mm-hmm. like no, very little imitation play. So a lot um, of stereotypical yeah. behaviors. And- so we, after the school diagnosis, we then went to just a, we did go to a clinical psychologist mm-hmm. who, who confirmed um, the diagnosis in literally one minute. Oh yeah, he's yeah. got autism. Yeah. And also, oh, he'll outgrow it by the time he's five. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> because he had, um, he had some, I mean, you know, he could say cookie or he could say, he was great at labeling. I mean, you could yeah. pick out those, those books that, those early childhood books where they'd have, you know, the A page, the B page, the C page, yeah, and he could yeah. label anything. And even now, he can label anything, but he can't use it in speech. Mm. He can't verbally, he can verbally label anything, but he couldn't, he wouldn't spontaneously say, oh, there's a truck or there's an airplane, but he can, you point to something and he'll, he'll say the word. So, Mm. um, but yeah, so then we, um, we got him into, um, yeah, after the diagnosis, then we just, we got him into the school for a little bit. Okay, so the school, so as a three-year-old, uh, started receiving services through the local school district? Yeah, so he went into an early childhood program, and it was kind of back in the day when, um, so it would have been 2000, and let's see, he was just five, six, maybe at five, six, because he, um, but anyway, he went into a structured learning classroom, so we lived in at the time mm-hmm. and our school district had their own classroom sp- structured learning. So it was just for kids with autism. Okay. Um, and he went into that, but for about 12 weeks, but we actually, the psychologist that we saw recommended that we do ABA and oh, really? basically adv- advised us to get our district to help us to do it. So we put him in, uh, the school for 12 weeks and then we was kind of he went in in like april mm-hmm. and then we broke for the summer and we didn't actually keep him in the summer we put him in an aba clinic mm-hmm. and he did an intensive aba for the summer and then basically we compared the progress he made at the school to the progress he made at the clinic and we got our school district to help us set up a home program so the aba seemed to be so he uh, mastered, yeah, I mean, he mastered yeah. like touch your head. Um, Following directions. But yeah, and like saying yes, being able to say yes, no. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of your basic drills, um, ABA yeah. drills, he mastered those, which at the school district, he'd mastered nothing in 12 weeks. So when he first started with ABA, was he what they call table ready? Was he able to sit at a table with a, a therapist and, and uh, you know, do whatever following commands? Or was he... Uh, or was he kind of like averse to doing that? Kind of wanted, you know, needed to, needed some time before he would come and sit. You no, know, I um, I think he would sit at the table for short, like short program. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't for very. I mean, he wasn't sitting for very long. I know they did have a goal where he would sit for longer periods of time. Yeah. Um, but the drills were all of your more basic, um, like you know, touch touch the dog categories that sort of thing yeah, yeah. i mean where they're i think they did them in short like 
five, 10 trials or seven trials, whatever that meant, mm-hmm. meant the trial. So he wasn't sitting for, um, you know, 10 minutes at a table. There were short periods. Yeah. So the data did show that he was making progress, at least in the, what they were working on. Yeah. So. I mean, he did make progress. I mean, we had a home program for Tilly basically went to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So we did an intensive clinic, clinic program. Then we brought it home. He had home and clinic. Mm-hmm. And then when he went to kindergarten, we, it was a half day kindergarten program mm-hmm. at the school district. And we were very idealistic and we wanted him included. So he was in fully inclusion with an, with a, an aide. And, um, then he did a home program after school. Mm-hmm. We continue with the ABA. And then he went to first grade. Um, and that's when this, our school district kind of fell apart. He, cause it was an all day program. Mm-hmm. Again, he was in full conclusion and, um, they just, you know, he was actually ma- regressing. So the skills he had gained in kindergarten, he couldn't demonstrate them in first grade. So he was actually making regressing rather than making any progress. And then we were seeing, started seeing frustration. He's, that was the first time he started to bite himself. Like he mm. does self injurious behavior and he bites his arms. Um, and you know, we, I mean, I, I think Jeff can probably even attest to this more because he actually will be funny. Pulled him out. We, he, he spent four months in kindergarten, kind of the final straw, which just, um, yeah. 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 So I guess I would just add that we, you know, we did intensive ABA because of course that's what's recommended. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, Benjamin made progress on the specific uh, APA goals, um, had no generalizable impact. There there was no change in his ability to function in the world, no change in him in the home environment or school environment. I mean, we were very disappointed because of course, ABA is very expensive and the school and the clinic, I mean, there was a lot of personal money out of pocket for that. You know, many companies do not pay for that as an insurance benefit, despite a lot of efforts. So, but but that was fine. I mean, we were all in and we said, we're going to do whatever. And our mantra has always been, we don't want to look back, um, and regret and say, you know, we, you know, we didn't follow the advice of the experts. We didn't do things that were right there that we could have tried. Mm -hmm. Um, so with first grade, you know, as Ashling said, the other recommendation at the time in the educational setting is the best thing is for kids to be mainstreamed with an eight, with, you know, an eight if they need one, but we want mm-hmm. them to be around other kids, et cetera. And I actually think it is idealistic. Um, and yet looking back on it and looking at Benjamin and how social he is, he loves being around other kids. Mm-hmm. So you know, so that part of it, the idea that these kids shouldn't be isolated and, you know, I, I think is, is great. Unfortunately, though, the accommodations that would be needed in the classroom for that to work simply weren't there. Yeah. Um, because you can't, you know, if you're, for, for one thing, the, cl- the, the schools don't follow ABA. They follow teach, um, for the most part. And mm-hmm. every school and every classroom has variations all over the place. Mm-hmm. Push in services, pull out services. But the reality is, these kids spend the majority of their time with a paraprofessional. Um, And in a mainstream environment, you have the teacher who's got 10, 12, 15, depending on your school district, however many other kids that they're needing to bring along. Mm -hmm. 
So we were getting reports from the school that Benjamin was getting increasingly frustrated. Now, remember, this was the happy-go-lucky kid that pretty much would be flexible and tolerate all these different things we would ask him to do. And so we were kind of scratching our heads like, what's going on? So I went into the school to see myself. And Benjamin was basically an island. You know, he was in a classroom with all these kids, but, you know, he was sitting off in the corner with the paraprofessional. The classroom was going on and he was just sitting at his desk and he was incredibly frustrated. And his teacher, so this is a gen ed uh, classroom. So you had a teacher probably didn't know how to relate, how to relate information, how to, no fault of the teachers, but really didn't have the knowledge or or skill base to make the accommodations, even if they could. I mean, would you, would you say that was the case? Uh, generally, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think that if we're honest uh, uh, in general, uh, I mean, the, the fundamental thing that's lacking is the ability to communicate, right? Yeah. So the teacher is, you know, is, doesn't know how to communicate with Benjamin and he doesn't have a way of communicating back. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, the curriculum that is, you know, is more, ABA based. So generally any teaching that went on would be kind of pull out into a resource room. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, the, the bottom line was he was really frustrated. Therefore it, it wasn't working and we knew we needed to do something different. So, okay. Um, and I think we all, you know, when I, we kind of skipped over a few years of Benjamin's life pretty yeah. quickly, but we, so we did ABA in the clinic that we went to. They also do like we did floor time. We it was kind of a combination of programs, floor time, RDI, mm-hmm. um, very verbal behavior. Yeah. And then later on, um, we, we actually did, p- you know, pivotal response training where oh, sure. they came out and worked with us and we as parents, mm-hmm. then we got training in it too. So, um, we kind of explored different, different areas. And as Jeff, yeah. As Jeff mentioned with ABA, I think the, he, Benjamin, so you master a program at the table and then you're supposed to generalize it into the, what, the net teaching, natural environmental teaching. Mm -hmm. And Benjamin never got that. I mean, he never could, um, so he would master over so many trials, but then the generalization just wasn't there. He didn't generalize into the. Can I, can I stop you? I just want to ask you. Uh, what was your experience like with P, you know, PRT was, I mean, you know, I think for us, um, I mean, I'm a firm believer that the, the parent is your, the ultimate educator and anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, for us, for our kids, they're most successful when we incorporate it into at home and, mm-hmm. and we become the teachers because, I mean, it's the same with speech therapies. To me, a, spe- a speech therapist is a, is a professional who off- who's like a consultant yeah. who comes up with the ideas to work with your child. And then you go home and you work with them. And, and that's where you see the gains is by doing it every day. And so at PRT, I think that we got probably the most value from that because th- they were teaching us how to teach our child. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it, and I, and we probably did some morphed version of it. I don't know if we did, tra- I mean, I, traditional PRT, mm-hmm. we worked with, um, a clinician who was in, like, I think started off as an ABA therapist and then she got trained or did some training in PRT. Okay. But she would come out to the home and we worked more on, um, like kind of having teaching moments where, and I, a lot on trying to get more language from Benjamin. So if he wanted cookie, that, you know, you would, you would acknowledge the fact he said cookie, mm-hmm. but I would hold it and, you know, look him in the eye. And, and then he had to say, cookie. you know, give me a cookie, please. Yeah. 
or and and it was funny because the minute this therapist and she we, she was excellent um, walked in the house, his language went up. I mean, he because he uh, knew that she yeah. would <laughs> demand more from yeah. him. Um, but I mean, I felt like Jeff would do one week, I would do the next week where we would try and go and we would do We started in the clinic and then she started coming to the home. Yeah. Um, but we worked, um, and then a lot around the home too, getting him to be able to, you know, get his pajamas on and, and some of that. Um, but that's how we incorporate the PRT. So I actually found that that was valuable from teaching us how to get more from him at home. Sure. But as far as the overall generalization, just never took hold the way you wanted it to or Yeah, I mean the thing when we now that we understand how his brain really works. Yeah. And and language is so hard for him. And and he I mean in his mind he's speaking full sentences, but he cannot get his mind mm-hmm. and his mouth to work together. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I mean in so it was just so hard for him to to say, you know, give me the cookie. Or if he did mm-hmm. eventually do it, it was a very um, learned, not natural um, response. I mean, it was more like he knew, okay, I have to say this. Yeah. And it wouldn't, unless you were sitting there in that moment holding the cookie, he would never then unprompted not do it. I mean, he, he wouldn't then randomly just come up and say, well, mommy, give me the crayons. I mean, it didn't really so, yeah, generalize. The spontaneous like ideation of I want a cookie from that point to the production of the actual physical production of the sentence, it's there's a lot that has to go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think since ultimately we're going to lead up to talking about RPM. Um, and I, I, I just want to mention one thing um, of all, all of these methods that we were doing. The, the one thing that we never thought of and none of the various professionals we worked with ever really told us to think of maybe never thought of themselves was to presume competence, to mm-hmm. presume intelligence. So the entire time, everything, you know, the whole paradigm around all of this, and it wasn't that people were in, in any kind of an insulting way, you know, saying that they knew that Benjamin was or was not intelligent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, it's fairly pervasive that, that, you know, unless we can get, you know, either language production or, you know, nonverbal body responses, then we're not making progress. And mm-hmm. what we reflect on this now, I think like when the therapist came in the room and Benjamin's language went up, well, he had a really strong bond with her. He really trusted her. Mm-hmm. He could feel that she respected him. And, uh, and so that probably as much as whether it was, you know, this method or that method or another caused him to do better with her. And mm-hmm. in RPM, we have certainly found that having that solid foundation of knowing that he's respected, knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, he trusts the person he's working with is, is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the reasons why, uh, I think it's important regardless of what method, whether we talk about RPM or any other, that if a professional is working with a person with autism, they better think about what assumptions they're making about that person's intelligence based purely on the visual evidence. Mm-hmm. Because for whatever reason, it's natural. We as human beings, if we see someone who doesn't respond when we talk to them and then spins around the room and does things that are somewhat unusual, we make assumptions about what's going on yeah. and, um, they know it. Yeah. I mean, and, and 
not just Benjamin, but there's so many of these kids, they're so aware. I mean, we're absolutely convinced of that. We'll come to that later in the yeah. story. Well, you know, as making me think as a, as a younger clinician, I remember, um, working at early intervention. This is around 2001. And I was taking over, uh, working with a young boy, uh, at the time he must have been five, still preschool. And, uh, the therapist told me I was taking over the case and she said, one thing she was really working on was eye contact. And she would constantly say, um, I don't think it matters now, we're, this is 16 years ago, <laughs> you know, Joey, look at me, Joey, look at me, Joey, look at me. And, um, it's, and I'm not saying I know best or I knew best, but instinctively it always struck me as like, you know, on the, my top 10 list of things I want to work on, not up there. Um, and then it wasn't until 2003, I think I went to see Barry Prezant speak and, you know, he talked about the idea that I'm pretty sure I want to ascribe you know, to the correct speaker, but I'm pretty sure it was him who told us about this idea that why are we working on eye contact? You know, for some kids, the minute they you ask them to focus on their eyes, the message that you're actually trying to convey, the communication is lost mm -hmm. because it's too much information to process. And so I, I totally get it. And the thing is, as a society, we tend to think someone's not giving us eye contact. We make assumptions about um, are they listening to a word we're saying, uh, their intelligence, their intentions, everything. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the whole on task behavior when you go on like our Timothy, our younger one, um, who's in a, in the school district, but he gets evaluated by a psychologist, but how, how much he's on task. And then you get percentages of, but it's like, what's on task Just looking out the window for 30 seconds. I mean, yeah. and, and are, I'm oriented in my body away from the speaker, but I'm still listening. And, you know, mm -hmm. he, and that's, I mean, what Benjamin has proven that even anything that's looks like, well, how could he, he's walking around the room singing a song. How could he hear what's, yeah, what, what's someone, the lecturer, he can sit in a class and listen and be coloring and humming a song. And yet he, you ask him a question and he heard everything. So it's, um, yeah, yeah, he just kinda, couldn't show yeah. that in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, thinking about, not that I'm harping on ABA, but, you know, it, in terms of just the copious amounts of data, you know, it's it just, what's the old phrase, uh, what, what gets measured gets managed, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like sometimes what you're choosing to focus on may not have been what needed to be focused on at the time or at all. Um, so, yeah, I digress. Um, that, that, that's a great point, Jeff. And I think, what we've realized and probably what we feel we've missed the most of is if we would have just talked to Benjamin all of that time as though he was intelligent, as though he was competent far beyond what he was exhibiting. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it would have made a big difference because we're already seeing it now. Now, now we, we just talk to him like we would talk to anyone and it helping mm -hmm. him manage his anxiety. Um, I knew at the time and I know, and I'm sure of it now that his, he, the reason his personality seemed to change in first grade was because he was so aware of how he did not fit in. You know, yeah. he, he knew that he could, you know, he want, he loves kids, but he didn't have a way to interact with them. And I'm sure that they increasingly probably just didn't really take notice of him because, you know, they couldn't talk to him and mm -hmm. would have made their own assumptions. So 
so, so I, I don't know. I just think it's an important point that we've really learned and I think is applicable across the board that, you know, these kids and adults, people of all ages, they're taking it all in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the more we can focus in on where the disconnect is, cause there is a disconnect and it is communication. And this, this is so important that we, we explore this. Um, but to presume competence, I think is a really key part of RPM that we take a lot from. Yeah, no, I would totally agree with that point. So let's go back to the story. Now, first grade, what happens after first grade? So first grade, we, um, we, so we take him out of the school district and he go, he's too, yeah, tuitioned out, mm-hmm. um, out of district and he goes to a ABA, no, for VB, VB school. Okay. Um, in, um, that is now changed his name, but yeah, so he has intensive, I think another place <laughs> <laughs> he has intensive VB. So we kind of stopped a lot of the home programming because it's okay. He's in a ABA VB school all day long. Yeah. We don't need to do more at home. And he was there. So again, he has your classic, um, goals, drills, mm-hmm. um, lots of data. Mm-hmm. Um, and he stayed there for probably maybe a year. A couple of years, like two and a half years. But anyway, as he got older and, you know, at one point, maybe a year into this school, we we decided that, you know, Benjamin needs some means to communicate. Mm-hmm. He needs a, he needs a way to advocate. I mean, this child, he can't even say, even though he learned, mastered yes, no on a, is this a dog? Yes. Is this a cat? No. Or, mm-hmm. you know, yes, no. But he could never really generalize it in I mean, even like a yes, no, even now we can't really generalize yes, no. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could say, do you want, if it's something he is totally adverse to, like, do you want green beans? He'll say no, but otherwise he says yes to everything. Mm. Um, But so we, we, we decided that Benjamin needed some means to communicate. I mean, it's everyone's right, human right to be able to advocate for yourself. So we explored assistive technology and we, um, I think that's when we we met we started and well we actually maybe no we I think we went through our school district first because mm-hmm. we went to and she kind of reassessed him and came up with a different system to use so she did a mm-hmm. full um AAC you know evaluation and mm-hmm. and um, she did her own but we they they we started so we I think we had a Dynavox or something first and then we mm-hmm tried to incorporate that into his program at um, the VB school that he was at. And it really didn't go. I mean, the thing with augmentative communication, and you're probably very well aware, there's a great one to, she always explains that it's like learning another language. I mean, if you bring, say, kids over from that speak Spanish and you bring them to this country, you have to immerse them in the language Mm -hmm. for them to become fluent. So with assistive technology, it has to be modeled, you know, throughout their day, like, oh, oh yeah. you know, you're sitting at the desk and you point our let. And so it has yeah. to be constantly modeled, which is very hard for people to do. They, have, they, they themselves have to learn the new language system and overcome that initial, in some cases, shock. Yeah. You know, when they see something that's unfamiliar and it's technology and how am I, you know, I don't know what this means. And yeah. And even yeah. from the staff, like people working with them. So it's kind of like if you had, um, or like when you, when you think of like teaching your children, 
um, like they learn by being at home when you're talking and that's how they, so it's the same with you bring a new language into them, the assistive technology. Well, you have to use it around them or they'll never, mm-hmm. it's not like Benjamin's going to one day pick up the device and start saying, Oh, how about we go down to the store? I mean, he's yeah. not going to do it. There's a, a lot of training. grammatical sentences. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of training that goes into it. So yes. that, um, it didn't really, the, the, the program that he was in, we basically left the program or they told us that we didn't fit with their program because they couldn't fit assistive technology into VB. It didn't work right then. I mean, huh. they may have changed things now, but we okay. were basically... Yeah. Um, was he the only kid in the school using... Yeah. he. There was a couple of others, but not a lot. I mean, they would use it for... I, actually, I don't even think there was... He was one of the first few that brought that they actually started yeah. using it. So, you know, we've gotten to be pretty good negotiators because we have to deal with so many schools and we're always on the cutting edge trying to get the school, whether it's the public school or the private, you know, or the, the, the therapeutic day school to adopt something. And, and we're not the kind of parents who put it on the table unless it, unless clearly things aren't working, right? Yeah. Unless Benjamin's not progressing. And unfortunately, until last year, pretty much Benjamin made no progress no matter what we did. Um, and, and so we were constantly coming to the table and saying, well, maybe we could try this. And, and so I remember it, with the school he was in then really trying to get, cause they were very much, well, ABA is that the re, is research based and therefore our program is built around this or VB. But, mm-hmm. and so I was saying, okay, that's fine. So what research exists that talks about the intersection of assistive technology or, you know, augmentative communication and ABA and, well, there really isn't any research on that yet. And so therefore, you know, I'm sorry, but fundamentally at the end of the day, as Ashling said, we can't help you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, you know, there's all of this great kind of early stage. Some people are specializing in assistive technology and some people are specializing in the 12 different flavors of ABA. And mm-hmm. then you have to ask, well, why are there 12 different flavors? I mean, if ABA works, then it works. If there's ABA and then there's VB and then there's PR, whatever it was, and PRT, PRT and, and then yeah. there's, uh, for this four time and there's yeah. RDI and, <laughs> and alphabet soup of, uh, <laughs> and it's all awfully squishy. All right. Yeah. It's yeah. awfully squishy. Okay. In terms of any other kind of statistically based medical intervention that, you know, so uh, that's just my opinion, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, um, but each time we came to the table, you know, optimism firmly in hand and tried to, you know, uh, persuade the school to do something that would help because we always believe that Benjamin, not only was it his right, but we always believed there was a capability there. We couldn't really put our finger on it. I mean, we had no idea what was going on in his mind as we do now, mm-hmm. but just the way he would behave and the things that would cause him anxiety and the things that he loved and when he would be happiest was when he was around other people. I mean, all these notions of autism being about, you know, oh, very introverted and like not wanting to be around people and not wanting to, I mean, you know this, but like not yeah. wanting to be touched and not wanting, you know, I mean, Benjamin is a very affectionate, very physical, you know, um, he, he would anyway. So there's just so many assumptions that we make all along the way because it's such a broad spectrum that for Benjamin simply didn't hold true. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the thing that consistently held true was we couldn't get the right combination of, of interventions that would cause him to 
blossom or cause mm-hmm. a light bulb to, to go on. So that yeah. was that school and then on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, at the same time we were working with him at home. So even though we didn't have an, an ABA program at home, we still had this clinic that we have had dealt with since Benjamin was three. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had them, we had them over the years and they came out kind of that PRT ABA, mm-hmm. but we worked a lot on, so we did work on the advocacy um, part because of course now Benjamin's kind of hitting eight, and my and nine and my mother has this saying about whether it's basically that men testosterone is whether they're nine or ninety. And literally, Benjamin turned nine or just before it, and we started. I mean, he started having very intense um, behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. And they at the school that the VB school they used um, what's it called BCM or there there's like CPI and then there's the other behavioral program. It's supposed to be less intrusive. Okay. Um, no CPI. I don't know what the other one is. Anyway, it's, it's, it's supposed <laughs> yeah. to have gradations, but basically Benjamin yeah. spent most of his time in a hold. People like lying him prone on the oh, ground. <laughs> um, yeah. But he, so we would spend at home, we would do a lot of, um, errorless learning on, you know, like stop. I mean, basically like what, like stop. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And we would like, you know, sit him at the table and he'd be doing something he wanted. And then we like put a book in front of him and then he'd say like, no, or stop or something. And we worked on that. But again, it would never generalize. I mean, we could never generalize it. Out. The same thing with the AC device. What, what, did you use it a lot? At yeah, home, we or? would, tr- and then we would pair the the verbal with the AC device, and it, it, that didn't work either. I mean, we would. He yeah. the the thing that he did learn really well, and they uh, it was again to navigate to the food and drinks, and he would go to what he could verbally cookie, you know, mm. jelly beans. Yeah. He could navigate really quickly. Um, Mostly all those, single word messages, like object-based yeah. single, you know, like sort of like uh, animals or food. Yeah, or we would work based. on drills with like where he'd go and we'd work on um like he'd do a pu- I mean he's 10 11 now at this point mm-hmm. and he he would do a puzzle where he's like picking you know the horse and then he has to go and find navigate to find you mm-hmm. know animals farm animals mm-hmm. and he would do it um but never generalized the only thing he would do on the device which he used it more as and not very often as a repair str- um, um t- strategy so say you know his grandmother was there and he's like, I want, and sometimes he's speech. He, he definitely has apraxia and it's, yeah. I might understand him, but you might not understand him. And he did a couple of times, like he went to his device and was able to press like cookie or mm-hmm. so then, Oh yeah, you want a cookie or you want water or whatever. So that did, mm-hmm. it helped with that. Yeah. But again, just for the single word, mostly just for um, that. yeah, once basic wants and needs like I, I i want a cookie or i want jelly beans or i want some sort of so basic needs i mean no mm-hmm. no communication no um in-depth um communication at all so i just want to, so how long did he wind up having his dynavox for how much or how know, long was it part of his life for so we went from so we quickly got rid of the dynavox because uh, i think the school district started with that mm-hmm. and then we met yeah, then, oh, we started with Polico to go, and then I think we went to, it wasn't even a Dynavox. It looks like, it looks like a Dynavox, but it's, um, a cheaper, mm-hmm. you, um, anyway, so it was yeah. similar to a Dynavox, but we'd used Touch Chat. Oh, she, Touch Chat, yeah. Touch Chat on it. Yeah. And then we went to, and that was still on that kind of device that he would have around his shoulder. And then we went from that, 
still touch chat. We went to an iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we, we, and we worked with that, with the school with that. And they, and we introduced it a, a couple of times. Like he changed. So when he went from the verbal behavior school to where he is now to, mm-hmm. I mean, they started using, um, the, the, the device. I mean, I think about that point, he, he was on, I can't remember the name, but we'll call it Dynavox then. And then that's when they suggested maybe they use the iPad. So wanted him to stay in the Dynavox, but they did a trial and it wasn't really that much different. So then we went to the iPad. So okay, with with um, uh, touch chat at first. Yeah, he stayed. He still has touch. Um, we kind of just when we met, she did the evaluation. She um, touch chat. She felt like was a better mm-hmm. um, software for him or okay. system for him. So we went. We stayed on touch chat for. A number of years he was on touch chat. Okay. But, um, do you feel like it helped at all? I mean, do you, no, was he generalizing it to other people, places? No, no. I mean, he would, and even now, occasionally, I mean, I haven't seen him recently, but even now I'll see him, um, go into, I think it's touch chat and he'll pull up like some, like we added a section for like friends and he'll pull up his friends page because he wants to see the picture of his friends. Cause ah, we, yeah. you know, I, and I was the one that actually maintained it and I updated it and all of that. Yeah. Um, but he does it more like he was watching a video. He'll go in and call up, look at the friends mm-hmm. page and get all excited about the friends, but okay. no, never, he never generalized it. I mean, unless you sat down with him and we're doing a drill. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. He would, he would never. Do you felt like he bought into it? No, and I and, okay. and and obviously now we know because he's a ver- yeah. he believes he's a verbal communicator. He in his mind he's a verbal communicator. Huh. I haven't thought of it that way. So, yeah. So, um, imagine if in your mind you have a phrase like, and I'll use a, a real example. I have a phrase like, you know, I'd I'd really like if if maybe mom and dad would take me out for dinner tonight. We can, with Timothy, we can go somewhere. You know, this is what you're thinking in your mind. Yeah. And then. Um, what you say is want Culver's, right? That's what you can make your mouth say. Now, mm-hmm. somebody introduces a device, which you look at it and you're like, okay, I don't really know how this thing works. So now remember also you have motor planning issues, which means physical interaction of any kind, moving your, your hand to touch stuff is, is part of autism. It's part of the brain. Uh, and we know because we've gone to occupational therapy with Benjamin forever, mm-hmm. uh, to work on, not not language related things. I mean, somehow we never really thought that much about the physical aspect of interacting with an assistive tech device. But now coming back to Benjamin's mind, it's like, okay, you give me this device. I can start to navigate. That's fine. And I can get to a place that says want Culver's. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to push Culver's over and over again because that's what I say. That's what I say. And you guys usually respond, right? Because when he says want Culver's, then we come in all interactive and like, well, we went to Culver's last time, you know, how about these other options? And he can verbally answer those questions. We say McDonald's or, you know, five guys or whatever. He loves burgers. So what can I say? Yeah. (laughs) And so, so in terms of, did he buy in? No, he, he didn't buy in. And Mm -hmm. what we've realized through RPM is that, He's kind of like, look, I'm, I'm not willing or able or something to make the effort to communicate all the things I'm thinking through these simplistic devices. And I mean, simplistic methods, either speaking, you know, I'll say what I can. And I think what we learned with his spoken language is it seems to take, 
I don't, I don't know. It seems to take a lot of effort for him to form the words. Mm-hmm. And so the only words that he uses are the ones that he really cares about. Culver's, jelly beans, mm-hmm. um, you know, but he was not willing to buy into trying, either couldn't or wouldn't or whatever. It's like the, the, mm-hmm. the learning curve was so steep that it just seemed unattainable for him. But the other thing is the, the time it takes to compose a message using RPM with a letter board can also be cumbersome. Uh, what, in your opinion, what does a motor plan look like using RPM versus a device? Um, yeah, either one of you both can talk about well, it. <laughs> I, I think I'm getting ahead here, but that's okay. Yeah, I know. I think I mean he. So part of RPM is motor learning the motor pattern of the board. Yeah. So part of it is training your 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 hands to point to the A, point to the, and that's why it's a very sis, systematic sis, um, program. And mm-hmm. um, you start off with just picking two choices. So yeah. uh, so you're learning learning to choose, learning to choose yeah. then you're picking the words on dividing into three stencils you pick and then and so there's a very systematic and then and it's really it's building that motor pattern and the, mm-hmm. and it's the same with on a device well the thing with a device i think which jeff was trying to cover is what's limiting about a device and that's not about the board is that a so so jeff gave an an, an actual an, um example so Benjamin wanted to go to Culver's and, and mm-hmm. so Kristen, the girl at the time that was working with him, she's, yeah, in an RPM session, she said, Benjamin, you know, do you want, what do you want to say to mom before you, before you leave? And he verbally says Culver's. So, mm-hmm. and she pulls the board up in front of him and he's saying Culver's. I mean, mm-hmm. he's verbally, and I'm like, so, but he doesn't spell Cul- Culver's. He spells, how about we all go out to eat? But so the thing about it, if he had a device, like where in the device do you program? And that's the, unless the kids get to the point of being able to do the, cause there's a typing page on the devices. Yeah. But how do you program? How about we all, I mean, there's a limitation in what you program when you're using some of these, you know, 36 pictures per page. Yeah. How can you program everything that's in Benjamin's mind? I mean, you can't. Well, the, the goal, the goal would be to, use, I mean, in my opinion, in an ideal world, to have a core vocabulary page. So the idea of using the most frequently used words like how and go and want, and then they can navigate between those core words and then the fringe vocabulary like Culver's and restaurant. So, yeah. But but here's the important thing. It, the Remember all along that no one presumed competence with Benjamin. And we haven't highlighted enough the amount of self-injurious behavior and just meltdowns after meltdowns. I mean, this is ever since first grade, we've been living with that. Yeah. And now that we're really getting inside Benjamin's mind and he can express himself, Mm -hmm. we're finally starting to see, I mean, it's still there. I mean, he's got lots of, of scar tissue, but he finally is seeing, okay, people finally realize that I am sentient, if you will. Right. I am intelligent. So, he was not willing to buy in because he was insulted by it. I am not okay. going to sit here. I'm look, I'm speaking on behalf of him and we haven't yeah. really plumbed the depths of this with him because we yeah. have so many more positive and forward looking things to talk about with yeah. RPM. But the difference, I think it's the same amount of motor effort. So the, the motor effort was not more or less. It's probably more with RPM because you're going straight to a letter board. Yeah. That's what and, I was. Yeah, yeah. So I'm with you on that. But yeah. But he was willing to make the investment with RPM because it's limitless. 
He's like, I can say whatever I want. If I master this one board, mm-hmm. I don't have to navigate around to different pictures or whatever, but if I can master pointing to letters, mm-hmm. then it's limitless. I can say whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And I just think with the board, with the uh, assistive technology, he was like, he just thought it was like a toy. He he had fun with it, but yeah. he never saw it as his voice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I mean, I, I think with, you know, I think in like, obviously with RPM, the goal is that they could eventually communicate on an iPad on their own. I mean, and this is, it's it, some kids take a long time to get there. Some kids get there quicker. And in the meantime, it's not like we've thrown assistive technology out the window. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I envision that, I mean, unless Benjamin gets on an iPad quickly independently, mm-hmm. but if he goes to McDonald's or he goes out to eat, I mean, we work, he needs help with, and he knows himself. I mean, he says, I need help with life skills, self-care skills, mm-hmm. functional skills, and, and he needs some assistive technology. So being able to go to a, a restaurant and order, Mm-hmm. Yeah, he may need to use a de- use a more assistive technology device for that until he gets to the point of being independent with. Um, so it's not like we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Right, right. Um, so there's still room for it. It's just a matter of just. It's the just it's not he. Take, yeah, the path you're taking is different. It's not his. Yeah, it's not his means to communicate. Yeah, and I have I, to and chew I, over that the idea about the being insulting and it's you know it, it's interesting. I, I'm not. Uh, I have to think about that one. I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing is that Benjamin, he really wants to, even with RPM, and of course he's 13, he's a teenager, we've yeah. got emotions, we, um, you know, teenagers are on top of the world one minute, they're mm-hmm. down the dumps the next. I mean, he, we deal with it a lot. He, 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 and it only came up like a couple of weeks ago. He's like, I really want, he calls it a working voice. I mean, he wants to speak. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Finish your thought about but he, um, you know, he, he, this to him, I mean, he, he has, he's been, he's, I mean, to, to be, he's put it in his own words. I mean, he's felt like, um, I mean, God answered his prayers and I mean, he has said like last weekend, um, we, we had an event that we went to and it was a fun, um, fundraising event for Autism Speaks mm-hmm. and he wrote a message and he, I mean, he basically said that RPM, has changed the despair he had about his life mm-hmm. um, and that it's given him a means to communicate. And and so it's given him that, yes, but he would love, I mean, he's, and in some ways he's, too, he's very hypersensitive to, I mean, if you think about if you never, if you never spoke, I mean, if you have no, if you, we, we just distract ourselves with speech. I mean, we babble on all the time, but if you're living in a world where you can't speak, you think a lot. And he's sure. out there in the playground and he's thinking and he's seeing and he can't talk and he's thinking and thinking and, and he overthinks everything. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's very hard. He has to reconcile daily that I wish I had a voice, a working voice and mm-hmm. I don't. So it's not like he, I mean, he would love to have a working voice and, uh, but yeah. right now, I mean, he, he feels like, you know, RPM has given him an actual voice and that people know who he is yeah so the uh the tape story (laughs) yeah well just this idea about being insulted or you know so um i mean we've definitely kind of skipped around a lot but i i would say that we were absolutely astounded when we first started doing rpm with benjamin it was a slow process for us to get insight into his mind 
and and I I want to be sure we touch on a couple of these before I tell the tape story. Um, sure. That you know he would do choices and we would watch him and and you know I, I'm a very skeptical person. Not, I, I'm a positive person, but I'm very pragmatic about things. I we've done so many things. And, you know, I learned early on in our marriage that Ashling was going to find all of the things we should do. And my job was to figure out how to pay for it. <laughs> and, you know, if I was going to have an opinion about it, I better darn well done more research than she had done. Yeah. And since that was never going to be possible, yeah. you know, instead, you know, so we've been a team. Um, and I've always kind of been a little bit more skeptical, but we've always been open-minded. It's like, look, we, if, if we haven't found the solution yet, then let's keep going and, and keep trying things. Let's not let them stack on top of each other. You know, let's try to isolate it and really, you know, give something a fair shot. Um, so I remember sitting and watching the first RPM sessions and, you know, cautiously optimistic, if you will. And, you know, uh, uh, um, I'm sorry. I, did you want to tell this part? I, I, okay. I mean, so, so Kristen started to work with him just doing a, you know, um, asking him questions in a field of two. Now remember that ben Benjamin, after the Schomburg school, he moved to a school in where he yeah. still is. And we've been very pleased with that school. They've been very so from second grade or third. No, he, so he's, um, I think he's been in since he started kind of the end of a year. Um, I think he started maybe the end of third grade. And so he's been there from fourth through, he's in seventh grade now. Mm -hmm. So three and a half. It's like he's fourth. Maybe I think this might be his fifth school year, but it's only been like four and a half years or whatever because he started at the end of a school year. Okay. So our IEP, um, I mean, Ashton could, knows the goals a lot better than I do, but they've been pretty much along the lines of, uh, you know, including like r basic reading, basic mm -hmm. math, you know, like very basic math. I mean, for a couple of years, he had a, a an IEP goal that was some progress where he was supposed to visually count pictures of bears on a page or something and say how many there were. Mm -hmm. So this is basically what he's going to school every day to do. Mm -hmm. um, but so, so Benjamin, uh, Jeff touched on it earlier. He's, he has never, seriously, never mastered a goal, an IEP goal, um, which for us it's it's was frustrating because, um, and not and not because of him, but it's like if, I mean, are we not writing goals right, or why are we not teaching? I mean, it's like if you know that it's the saying, if the child's not learning, I'm not teaching. Mm -hmm. But ben Benjamin has literally never mastered a goal, um, and. And he, he went from, you know, like that we even had stopped doing like math goals. It was basically being able to more of the functional math. So we, we stopped the addition. I mean, he could add, um, I mean, he never even mastered part, past like adding one plus one that he could do. It was two. So we, um, went to more functional, being able to get three napkins or being able to go to, go, go to Target and pick up four. But okay. even with that, he yeah. it wasn't like he could consistently take four items, which now we mm -hmm. understand why. But, mm -hmm. um, but he, yeah, he, he never mastered an IEP goal. And we kind of just started, um, working more on, you know, giving some more of that functional communication, um, more of the self-care, self-help, all of that. That's what we kind of focused on. 
um, life skills. Life's yeah. Yeah. So, right. So basically, academics were non-existent, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, sight words. So, but the idea, unfortunately, that was creeping in is okay. Now he's in junior high. He hasn't mastered any IEP goals. Don't think he can read. Don't think he can do math. Basically, this kid must have a very severe intellectual disability, which, of course, is what everyone thought all along. All mm-hmm. right. I mean, so we're sitting here watching um, RPM. And the main thing I'm, first of all, looking for is I want to be absolutely certain that there isn't any interference that might be influencing what he points to. Okay. Because, of course, we, you know, we were very aware, regardless of what people say on the internet or anything else couldn't care less, right? For us, yeah. it's all about Benjamin and whether we're seeing something real. Yeah. Okay? So we're watching this. And at first, he's not on the board or anything. He's just, you know, Kristen's asking the question. She starts with very basic math to cut and then gives him an answer. You know, two plus two equals on the left, it says four. And on the right, it says nine, right? Mm-hmm. He points to four. So I'm watching this. Now, I've studied a lot of statistics just in my professional life. And so we all probably have heard the the coin flip thing. You know, you flip yeah. a coin a hundred times and you're going to get tails 50 to times more or less and sure. heads 50 times more or less. So I'm watching this and I'm watching her randomly vary the, you know, which side the right answer is on, et cetera. And she's asking him harder and harder questions. And she finally asked him a question and he's getting them right every single time. It's always so, in a field of two. It's always first, in a field of two. Yeah. In the first yeah. 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 Just because out, yeah. it's, you know, but I'm watching this with the eye statistically looking at this. I'm like, after about 15 answers right, never missing one. I'm like, this is, a, this is not possible to game because mm-hmm. there's no way for him to know where the right answer is. It's like the shell game. It keeps moving back and forth and there's no yeah. pattern to it. So I'm getting more and more intrigued. And then she asks him a question. I, I wish I would have written it down because I keep getting it wrong. But it's basically, it was pre-algebra. It was like... Nine plus, you know, six divided by two, uh, plus X equals 12. Mm-hmm. And he got it right. You know, there's no showing your work or nothing else, but he picked that one right. Mm-hmm. So, um, Ashton can tell you more about the progression in a minute. So I want to just kind of show you that he's in a school with IEP goals that presume he doesn't understand how to read or do math. And he shows us almost instantly once he, got onto a board and, you know, that he can do both quite Mm -hmm. proficiently. Now in school, and this is a tape story, I'll just tell it and then you can splice it however you want later. But (laughs) but the tape story is, so after he started, after the school really started to do um, RPM and and Ashton can tell you more about the intervening time, but that took, because that took some time. But after they finally started to get some training and, and, you know, Kristen would come into school and help and the, the staff all started to really rally around it and say, this is really happening, right? They could see it themselves and seeing mm-hmm. is believing. Um, so the first month, we have all the data to show this. His self, his 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 meltdowns really dropped, and they were tailing the number of meltdowns a day. Oh yeah, we yeah. have the number of hours. We have all this stuff graphed. Yeah. We have lots of data. Well, yeah. we always know that when communication goes up, those behaviors go down. Right. <laughs> so. so so that was great. Yeah. And then after then then we uh, we went away. We had to go away for a week and, and, and we came back and then the behavior started to go up. Mm-hmm. And so now we're thinking, well, what's going on? So we go and have a meeting at school and we, we basically say, look, we think that 
we don't know. We have hypotheses, but we think that, you know, Benjamin is, is, we know he's really self-conscious. He, he, his favorite time of the day is when he's around the other kids. Cause in addition to a, um, therapeutic day school, there's also a private school attached to it. And so there's, mm-hmm. you know, lots of neurotypical kids around and he loves that part of it. And, um, but we were seeing more and more behaviors on the playground at recess, which is the time that he's always liked, you know, he always wants to be around the other kids. So we suggested that, that when Kristen was in the school, um, since he's basically fully fluent with her on the board, that they use some of that time to do more counseling session to try to talk to him about, involve him in this, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, Benjamin, what's going on? Right. Why are you having these meltdowns (laughs) instead of always in the past? trying yeah. to think, oh, he had a meltdown, you know, is, is one of the light bulbs burned out or yeah. is there, uh, you know, I mean, what's the antecedent and what's the, all that stuff instead just asking him and getting inside his mind. And, uh, we had already seen the power of this before this, um, and I'm mixing my stories together, but they're both important and you can use what you want. Yeah, you um, <laughs> so we, we, uh, we went to my parents at Christmas time and, you know, my siblings were there. There were cousins around environment Benjamin loves because he's in a, he, he loves being around family because family loves him and they've always accepted him and he feels very little pressure. And so when we came home, um, we were there for several days, a long weekend or whatever. And when we came home, we walked in the house and Benjamin went downstairs. He was really happy. And Ashley and I were talking in the kitchen and then all of a sudden we hear the whale come and the meltdown come. And we talked to each other and we just said, he just hates being at home, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's always so unhappy at home, which is often why we would run around and take him to the trampoline place and spend our whole lives trying to entertain Benjamin. And I, we just said, well, you know what? We don't really know. We're, we're trying this RPM. We Neither one of us were very fluent with it yet. We said, why don't we go down and see if he'll tell us what he's thinking about so we did, and and I happened to be doing the board with him that time, and he he spelled out, "Dad, can I kiss a girl?" That's what he said to me, and we know since because now when we started doing counseling with him, all of that's coming out, and he's now basically with with Ashling, who's more fluent with him than I am, he's expounded on that. He said, "Mom, I don't think I can ever kiss a girl because I have autism, right?" Yeah. So. We think he's upset down in the basement for some superficial reason because we're home and he's mad because he wants to go back to grandma's house. Mm -hmm. And instead, he's back home. He's out of the loving environment with all of his cousins. He's back by himself and he's thinking again. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking about the future and the lack of a future that he can see. Now, flashback to school. So we're thinking about all this and we're saying, you know, he's frustrated at, at recess. Um why don't we do these counseling sessions? So in one of the sessions, one of the uh, uh, therapists at school, and these aren't counselors, right? I mean, there's a social worker and all that, but social workers who are accustomed to working with kids in those schools are not accustomed to having in-depth conversations, right? So so she asked the question, uh, one of the, not the social worker, but one of the therapists, and they're all very interested and really want to know the answer to this, right? Mm Because they want to help him. And he had had a meltdown at Target in an outing. And so she had said something to the effect of, well, you know, Benjamin, I know you want us to treat you like, you know, uh, like your age, right? But then when you have a meltdown at Target, it's not really age appropriate. Mm-hmm. And he gets the board and he, he's, he's actually very respectful. And this is the closest, this is the most 
assertive I've seen him be, but this is what he said. He said, I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. However, um, you, tr- you put a piece of tape over your mouth for 10 years and see how age, 13 years and see how age appropriate you are. <laughs> yeah, this just came, this just came out of nowhere. And he was just like, wow. So I wanted to tell that story earlier because this idea about, is he insulted? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's insulted. This kid has so much pride that we never knew was there. Yeah. And the anger and the frustration and the unwillingness to do things that he thinks are beneath him. Now, I'm not saying as his father that I accept all that. And we've really been talking with him about, you know, that Benjamin, your situation is different and you do have mm-hmm. disabilities. And so we've got to work with assistive technology. We've got to work with, you know, things that help you with life skills. Yeah. But the key is he's got to believe that everyone who's working with him understands his intelligence and, and, and respects him. Exactly. And then everything else, that's kind of like the water that hydrates the body. If that's there, mm-hmm. that trust is there, then so many other things are possible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, to back up again, I, is, it was my understanding that you first got into RPM because another classmate? Yeah. So I, um, I'd heard of RPM. I mean, like you have, Jeff, yeah. over the years, but it was on the fringe. Um, you know, we had fought the school districts, various school districts, even for specific knowledge. I mean, the school that he was, um, you know, asked to leave because we wanted to push assistive technology. So it's like, yeah. What do we want to go down that route of, of of another battle? And I just did. We didn't. We didn't go down that route, road. Um, and then, so he was at for a couple of years, and this other child started last year, which would have been so Benjamin's in seventh grade, sixth grade. So when they went into, he was like sixth grade or two. They're two weeks apart in age. Yeah. And he started, and it was probably like you know, a couple months into the school year, I had a conversation with, um, this, the social worker about, and we track behavior. I mean, we, I have graphs going back for 10 years. I mean, I could paper the wall and I, I always say about Benjamin, the only thing consistent is the inconsistency, mm-hmm. but I mean, the graphs just look like this. There's, there's mm-hmm. really no pattern to anything. Um, but, and she asked me, she's like, Oh, I'm, you know, I wonder if you've ever heard about RPM that this, child has started and, and, and he came into the school being fully proficient in the, in, in RPM. I mean, he'd been doing it for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so they saw that the child who, I mean, there were, they, I mean, Benjamin came in as an infant doing it. I mean, they, they've seen the, every, him in every step of stage of it. Um, so I'm like, well, you know, they've met, they've mentioned it. I'm going to go down that road. So we, I got in touch. They put me in touch with the child's mom. Mm-hmm. So I spoke with her and, um, she kind of told me their story. And then she recommended the therapist that they are the provider, RPM provider that they use. So for his whole sixth year, grades, we did it privately. Yeah. And the thing about that people need to remember about RPM. Like anything, it's not, I mean, you don't put a board in front of a child and they start pointing. It's, it, boom, yeah. it's, it's a lot of work. It's yeah. a lot of work on the half behalf of the child. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're, they're basically pro- programming, they're building that motor skill of being able to point to letters mm-hmm. and being able to get their brain, to get their hand to point to the CAT to spell cat. I mean, even mm-hmm. though they know it. Um, and there's a lot of, um, work on behalf of 
I mean, as a parent working with a child, I mean, you got to work with them daily too. I mean, providers that are, are very skilled and have been doing it for a number of years can get quicker with a child, but like us, like Jeff and I learning or even the people at school, it takes time and it takes practice. Familiarity. And, yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's good days, there's bad days, depending on his motor ability and how yeah. his body is that day. Um, but we pursued it then on our own for a year. Now there's no, as far as I understand it, there's no, the therapist that you use is out of Wisconsin. Is that correct? So we, uh, we've actually seen a few. So we went to a, uh, clinic in, I mean, I hate the word, use the word clinic provider, RPM yeah. provider. They have an official, she's an official clinic. She's actually been trained by Soma. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in Waukesha, Wisconsin. So we went there for a few months mm -hmm. and, um, that didn't really go. So it's like, it's not like the minute Benjamin walked into an RPM clinic, the oh, yeah. <laughs> that in relationship, that didn't really, he didn't make that much progress, but we could see that he definitely, I mean, anything that we thought of him before, I mean, mm -hmm. that we, we could tell he knew how to read. We could tell he understood a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. So then we started, um, we went to an, an RPM camp that um, Erica Anderson from our, her clinic is called ACE, um, which stands for like Anderson Campbell. And I don't, I don't know what the E stands okay. for, but it's up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yes. So Erica yeah. is the second most trained person in the country. Right. I so she's I, the one on the website, I think, right under SOMA, I think. Yeah. Under, yeah. Yeah. So she's like level three training. Um, yeah. But we went there. We would go once a month. I would drive up to Green Bay with Benjamin. He would take the day off school and we would, mm -hmm. they do like a two a day session. Mm -hmm. We'd do a session. Then we go and have lunch and come back and do another session. So we did that for a number of months. And then we happened to meet this um, other girl who is, she actually went down to Soma just recently to get trained, but she, mm -hmm. um, has been working doing RPM for seven or eight years. She actually learned from the family who she was working, she's working with a, a boy in a school. Mm -hmm. He's in high school now and she'd been with him. So we met her through this family that we met. I mean, it's a long story, but we, yeah. um, we met her and then she started working with Benjamin and that's really, they have a really good relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, there was a lot of gains there that we saw. And, and also going, me driving to Green Bay, Wisconsin once a month is not the same as somebody coming to your house two or three times a week. I mean, the, the right. consistency in the practice helped. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. but, and then, so I stopped going to Green Bay because it just I mean having someone local mm -hmm. for the time being, it worked. That was just more use of better use of our time. Mm -hmm. So, and then she started, um, training Jeff and I as well how to how to work with it. But. So now locally, who's who's the primary point person? So she's today? just she's uh -huh. like a twenty six, twenty seven Kristen her name is. Oh Kristen, okay. She's basically a Yeah, she works yeah. in a school district um with another child who's mm -hmm. a junior in high school mm -hmm. and fully included um you know, she, she's very good, like at math. She does, mm -hmm. um, but she just has, she's very good at it. And she has a, and she ha has a good way of getting kids to make prog progress pretty quickly. Okay. Um, and she actually then is the one that has, cause she had been going into the school for this other child cause she works with the other family to teach. So the staff had to, even for this other child had to learn how to do it. Yeah. Um, so she'd been going in training them. So she started 
for this other child, and then she started training them for Benjamin just this year. Okay. She started doing that. So now most of the staff in the classroom are familiar with RPM to the point where they can facilitate an educational lesson with that. Um, so no, not most of, no, that we picked, there's three, so there's a teacher and then Benjamin has two staff that Mm. are being trained to work with them. Okay. But just because they worked with the other child doesn't mean they can work with Benjamin. It's kind of like child specific. If you're really Mm -hmm. good at it and you've been doing it for a long time, like Kristen is, you can kind of you basically have to figure out the style of learning that a child has. The rhythms and their... Yeah, I mean, so like Benjamin is an language. auditory learner. He yeah. um, learns by um, by basically listening versus some mm-hmm. kids are more like um, visual or kinesthetic and mm-hmm. they need to visually see something mm-hmm. or um, they're very tactile. Like if you write the letters on them, it, that's their, they call it the primary learning channel. Um, And Benjamin's primary learning channel is an auditory. And that's actually to his credit, because that's how he's learned throughout these years. He's listened and he's learned and he's Mm -hmm. um, basically educated himself. Yeah. So I earlier I was telling talking about, you know, when I first saw him kind of tested and going through that whole process. So this all happened within with Kristen within a span of a couple of weeks, the summer before his seventh grade year. So last summer, uh, so uh, I, I remember I, I had to go away on a business trip and that was like on a, on a, over the weekend, maybe we did that. And I was away on a business trip and on the Tuesday, um, in a session, Kristen had asked him, okay, I'm going to involve you in the lesson this time rather than just teaching you a lesson and then asking you questions about it. And so she asked him what he'd like to learn. And this, I think was the first time he'd really, we'd seen him do f- just full open communication on the, on the board. And he spelled, um, first thing he spelled was algebra. He, he wanted to learn algebra. And even though we'd seen him do the math, you know, answer the math questions correctly, we were not prepared for him to have be fully verbal in his mind. And so now we're starting to get that insight for the first time. So she's like, okay, algebra, well, we can do that. And then she said, anything else? And he spelled war. And she's like, okay, war, what kind of, you know, can you tell me more? And he spelled out World War One. That mm-hmm. he was, and what we've since learned is that he loves history. Yeah. And actually, I, so do I. You can look around. The, the, all these are history books in here. So, yeah. Um, and, and I guess the, the, the point is that he, actually, I forgot my, I just lost my train of thought. So. <laughs> okay. No, something you said made me want to tell that part of the story. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the thing with RPM is that it's, it's an educational method. I mean, we're kind of flipping back and forth. And that's okay. Between, so it's an educational method that can lead to communication. And basically you can't communicate unless you're, ed- I mean, her, like Soma's belief is communication comes with education. If there's no education, there's no communication. And that's why when we're limiting our kids to, you know, I want cookie and you're not educating them, we're putting them in environments where they're, they're not ex- they're not exposed to mm-hmm. grade level books and they're learning you know to be able to match the tree to the you know I, I've gotten my visual book with the I can recognize sight word you know the picture tree tree to the word tree mm-hmm. in their fourth grade and yet we're losing so we're not educating them to their ability and mm-hmm. then they will never communicate because they're you know so their education is limited I mean that's there's her a, philosophy yeah. is that well I'll tell you there's um 
you know, I, I kind of want to shift a little bit, but before I do, I wanted to ask you, so how long do you think it took Benjamin before he went from the start of RPM to the point where he can construct those multi-word sentences? So it depends on the person. So with, yeah. with the right person, so with Kristen, um, it took her from, and, and sh- we were a little sporadic for a couple of months, but she started working with him in January and, um, my, I remember some of the first sentences like this. So this is open communication. So yeah. he was able to answer academic, academic questions about lessons, but the first sentence in open communication, it was actually my brother was here visiting with his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, like he, he was upset and he said that I, it's unfair that Timothy can talk. Um, and that would have been, my brother was here in July. So, so from January to July, so that was seven months mm-hmm. of, and there was probably two or three months of that was not inconsistent. Now for the likes of Jeff and I, she, pro- I mean, I probably started working with Kristen and I'd been working a little bit with Erica and the other provider as well, mm-hmm. but I didn't really start doing consistent. Okay. We're going to do this everyday practice. So maybe, um, May, June. Okay. Um, of last year and he, where are we now? We're April. So it would have been January, February of this year. So it took about six or seven months for him. And he's still not as fluent with me. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're doing an academic lesson and he's answering questions, like I do homework with him and he's in seventh grade and he's in the regular classrooms now and he gets tons of homework. Okay. And I do it and, you know, we're doing, you know, physics and I can ask him, you know, is that potential en- energy or is that gravitational energy? And he can spell potential or gravitational. Yeah. Um, but to get like full, um, thoughts, I mean, it, it, he can do it with me. It just takes, takes him longer and he's not maybe as fluent or as descriptive in his language. So why, why is that? Because, um, I, my technique is not as good, um, as hers. I mean, there's a technique to, um, you know, holding the board mm-hmm. and, and obviously it's called rapid prompt method for a reason because mm-hmm. you rapidly prompt. I mean, it's like if you're getting like, you know, you're basically rapidly point, prompting them to get the, you know, the A or the whatever the letter they're pointing to. So there's kind of get that technique of, mm-hmm. um, and then it's, he, he gets proficient at doing that with you. And like at school, they started. They started back in September, maybe, that she went mm-hmm. in, and they're not as far along as we are, but they're making progress, but they're still, you know, basic, they're doing their, his academic lessons, and like a couple, one of them now is able to, is graduating to being able to mirror, like he'll spell, spell a word on on chunking, and then now he can go and spell it on the big 26 stencil, mm-hmm. where like, so they're at various stages of the process. Okay. But it's oh, taken very, them. Very exciting, yeah. though. So, um, the cool thing is that once you uh, get into this, I mean, there's the ability to continue to progress until, as Ashley said earlier, ultimately, hopefully, you get onto a, a device like an iPad where you're independent. Um, but so when you say an iPad, you mean like a some type of text to speech? Yeah. Is that what you're looking yeah. towards? Okay. So I don't know if you if you saw the ads that Apple came out with during you know recently. Yeah. Yeah. That boy, that he's a man. Now he's a young man. That young man w- was doing RPM. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. he. If you 
look at the videos through our eyes, and Ashlyn caught this, that you can see that most of the video is not on an iPad. It's, you mm-hmm. know, him using a letterboard and doing, you know, but then they show that he's been able to get to an iPad, which is kind mm-hmm. of another level of proficiency. Yeah. Um, where Benjamin is with that, he, uh, with Kristen, he's now doing somewhere he holds the board in his left hand and he points with his right hand. So the goal is to fade out as much as possible. And that's important anyway for independence and life skills. But because mm-hmm. the world is relatively unaware of RPM, we also recognize that that's just, that's important for others to really get that, Hey, that look, there's no magic going on here, right? This yeah, is, yeah. this it's is real. the child yeah. explaining or the person explaining themselves. Yeah. So that progression is really cool. And then the other thing I wanted to, to point out, we're seeing that the, the, the reason for the rapid prompting initially, um, which is really just kind of sitting there saying meaningless phrases to them, like get it, write on it, whatever, mm-hmm. um, to keep, it's to keep their attention because yeah. you, you, you know, when you sit with Benjamin and if you're inexperienced doing it and he knows you're inexperienced and he, he has to work really hard to overcome whatever all the distractions are to be focused enough. Yeah. It's kind of like if you've ever, like for me, when I was learning to play piano, you know, mm-hmm. I really wanted to play piano, but it was really hard and I had to yeah. really focus my mind just to do basic stuff. Yeah. Well now, I mean the stuff that, you know, I don't even have to think about it. I just sit down and play piano. So yeah. if we think of it like that, the early stages of rapid prompting is just like, Benjamin, stay with me, stay with me, keep looking mm-hmm. at the board, keep focusing. Because when you watch Kristen do it, she hardly prompts him at all. Yeah. So it's it's kind of just rapid communication method, you know, because he feels yeah. comfortable with her and he just is able to, uh, with a piano analogy, I remember I could get really proficient or a student, of, you know, and then you got to do a recital. And now you're in front of a whole bunch of people and mm-hmm. you're like, you freeze up and you tense up. Well, I think for Benjamin, when he moves to a new person who's less experienced, mm-hmm. he kind of, it, it's like playing piano in front of a different audience or a different person. Yeah. He's not able to focus on what he's capable of. Yeah. He's, you know, so that that's what we've started to see in terms of... I'm sure there's a rhythm to it, to the interplay between the prompter and the, and the communicator, that, and that familiarity between, you know, the different speakers or partners. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to talk about, and I, I don't want to get too bogged down because that's another episode. I'm sure another about the different stages. You know, I'm sure listeners can go onto the website and just learn more, more about the basics. But the two things about prompts that have always, um, actually, as I've learned more about it recently since talking to you, that just really threw me for a loop is what you just mentioned before, especially, especially at the beginning of this rapid prompting because it totally smacks of what we're taught as therapists. I mean, you can go to, I'm sure virtually every program has that chart in a lot of special education classrooms about the prompting hierarchy. And the idea, especially for our kids on AAC devices, is that we want to give them time to respond. And so it's not unusual to ask a kid a question or initiate something and and say, you know, we've got to wait. Um, we're going to wait up to... And you, you, every kid's different. You sort of feel them out. You get to know who they are. And I might wait up to 30 seconds before asking them again. So this idea that you're constantly on them, um, I have to admit, I think I saw, so when our mutual, uh, acquaintance first told me about your website, you know, and we'll link to that on the show notes, but 
I remember the first video that I saw you posted was uh, Benjamin was doing a lesson on the Constitution. And when I saw the video, I actually, I, I, I think I was calling a coworker over. I'm like, look at this. It, it totally, it makes no sense on, on the face value. I'm like, I would never do this to a kid. It's like, it's like, and I've watched and I started watching other RPM videos on YouTube and stuff that they posted on, on the Halo website. I'm like, it makes no, on face value from everything I've been taught, it makes no sense to me at all. It's like, they're just bombarding this kid. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm thinking that you're just going to send this kid into overdrive by doing that. Yeah, you're actually going to get the opposite results. And that's, that's the first thing. So, yeah, because you, I mean, if you read any of her books, um, she has a number of books, but you're basically competing. You're competing with their internal and external environments. I mean, she goes into, and I, I wouldn't, her books are, they're very well written. They're very technical. Mm-hmm. So read them if you really want interested. I mean, they're not like I'm going to sit down and, and read this light reading. Yeah. Um, but she speaks a lot about your internal and external environment. So your internal environment are your thoughts and your, and your external is all of the, you know, your sensory system. And so you're competing with that. So sure. that, and yeah. it's, and I'm competing to make sure that my voice is heard. Mm-hmm. So I want you to attend to this lesson and I will do everything within my power to keep you here. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's by my voice. And some of it though, you, it's your voice, but you change tactics because if the kid is very tactile, mm-hmm. you might um, start writing the letters on their back or if they're very um, kinesthetic, I mean, if they're walking or you get, um, I mean, you get them to do different things. So you have to kind of learn the style of the child and mm-hmm. someone that's really good at it. They can figure out a kid's learning style right away and then they switch their lessons and their, um, tactics, yeah. and their tactics. But yeah, you're basically competing. Yeah. But- and the other, the other thing I wanted to touch upon this, you mentioned it before and I saw this over and over again in the Halo website is that Soma does not consider RPM to be a communication mm-hmm. method. An AAC mm-hmm. method, or whatever you want to call it, first and foremost, it's an educational mm-hmm. communication comes after it, which again throws me. When I remember the first time, the first time I read that, so the, it, before I talked to you some years back when I first heard about RPM, I, I probably visited the website at least a couple times and times in the you know over the last several years. And when I when I read that, of course, my antenna went up, and I'm thinking, come on, you know. How is that? It, it made no sense to me. I'm like, you know, you can teach, you can start with communication. Uh, there's, there's no prerequisites to learning. And I thought to myself, is she using it as a way to shield herself from criticism um, from the AAC world? That's what I thought at the time. Again, who am I to say? You know, the more, the older I get, the more I say, I just don't know. We actually saw her in January. I mean, she is like a phenomenal lady. I mean, she's this little, tiny little Indian lady. Yeah. And, and she literally, she has no lesson plans. Everything's in her head. Yeah. And, um, but her, she, so communication comes from the education, but she bases around the lesson. So if you're doing a lesson on, um, say you're doing a lesson on a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so she, she'll take a sentence and she'll pick every single word apart. So she'll say, well, tell me, you know, um, the word, if you're starting basic, like the word, so the word harp, harp comes up. Can you tell me another a musical instrument? Of course, I don't know what I'm going to, what he's going to say. So then you're building on the communication on that or, you know, put this, put this word in a sentence or, so you're, you, she builds it all upon the lesson. So she works on, um, communication, but based on education rather than she would never come out and say, well, tell me how you're feeling today. I mean, if you think about it, if someone comes up to you and says, well, how are you feeling? I mean, you mm-hmm. say good. 
I mean, nobody yeah, no, will no. actually. And that's what, I mean, I think her thinking is that, I mean, to put someone on the spot and I mean, she might, act, she'll ask your opinion on who would you vote for? I mean, like she asked yeah. Benjamin, which we were surprised he would vote for Bernie Sanders, which we're like, we didn't even know he listened to the, <laughs> but are, you know, what would you, if you wanted to go, if they're talking about geography, where, if you know, if you were going to pick a country that you wanted to visit, where would you visit and why would you visit there? So you're kind of building. Mm-hmm. So it's open communication, the fact that I don't know what you're going to say, yeah. but it's not just, well, some random, what do you, you know, what do you think about what happened yesterday when you felt like that? I mean, that's kind of putting someone on a spot. So, yeah. And not to say they couldn't respond to that, but it's certainly not where you want to start. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or even the first few months. So, uh, what prompted you to go to, uh, to Austin and see Soma at this point? Well, I mean, I think we, we just wanted to meet her. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that we've been there, I, I think, I mean, we, we actually talked about it, our goal being to see her every year. Mm-hmm. She, her, her philosophy is that learning is never done. I mean, her son is 20, in his late twenties. Mm-hmm. She still does sessions with him every day. And she has this year in, it was like February or end, um, they had, um, a conference at the University of Texas and in, but it was called Beyond the Board. And there was basically like about 120 professionals that came th- from around the country. And it was all about RPM beyond the board. Like she feels like even an iPad is a board that she wants to go beyond. You know, she's talking about like even using it to do verbal speech. Okay. Um, wow. And using it to teach um, life skills. Because it's like mm-hmm. if you tell Benjamin, go over there. And he's actually good enough at it. But some kids, if you say, go over there and get that red book. Mm-hmm. If you ask them on the board, they can tell you, you know, I need to get that red book on the second shelf. But they go over there and they randomly pull another book and it's like they're, they're not, they don't know, okay, I need to bend down, mm-hmm. you know, get my right hand. The motor planning. The motor planning part yeah. of it. So she's actually, I mean, she's a book yeah. on that of teaching motor planning. So it's yeah. like your body is the 3D board. So going beyond ah, a flat board. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I just feel like we, I mean, it's like we, we're just going to go with where it goes and. Mm-hmm. We're we're going to be continue. I mean, this is not going to stop here, and we'll just. So uh, on on the website, looking through a number of the facts in the facts section, and one of the questions is is do you recommend RPM for everybody, you know, on the autism spectrum? And I don't want to I don't want to ascribe words that weren't there. It was something to the to the fact that yes, we can help a number of kids. Primarily, it did say somewhere. I remember the fact about that it was primarily for kids who are quote unquote nonverbal. And that's a loaded term these days, mm-hmm. but, um, that it has been used to help kids who had verbal skills as well and could be applied to a wide variety. Is that something you believe? I mean, I don't want, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but, um, so I, I do think it's worth trying. I mean, for any child, for, so she says nonverbal, limited verbal. So Benjamin, I mean, mm-hmm. your limited verbal is the, I can say cookie. Um, yeah. but you know, there's some kids who are, they don't even have utterances. I mean, they're completely, um, so I definitely think even from a perspective of I'm educating my child, I'm mm-hmm. reading seventh grade material to somebody versus picking up brown bear, brown bear and reading it to them. I mean, even from that perspective mm-hmm. of, of respecting the intelligence of your child, I mean, it's worth um, exploring for a nonverbal, limited verbal child. But to your point, cause we have a child with autism who's verbal. Yes. Who, yeah. um, who says 
never stops talking, but it, but but it says nothing. I mean, it's nonsense. Yeah. But she actually, so Some, it's funny because she just came out. I haven't read the book. I have it sitting on my shelf in there. It just came out about two weeks ago. She wrote a book. And this is what's incredible about this lady. She has camps. She has full-time students. She writes books. Um, I mean, she's continually developing. I don't know how she does it all, but yeah. anyway, she wrote a book using RPM for verbal students. Yeah. Um, so she said when we were down, it's actually a different pathway yeah. in the brain. Like if you read her books and I mean, not to go into the whole, but, but you know, the reason why there's a breakdown is because, and she's, so she was a chemist, but she went and studied the neuroscience to try and understand yeah. how the brain works. And it's because of different pathways or whatever it is, but it, for a verbal child, it's a totally different brain pathway. Um, and that's why, so she tweaked, I don't know what it is. I haven't read it. Yeah. Well, but, she talked, and the fact is that, uh, fact section, it talked about, um, such as, um, I don't know if it was eliminating or extinguishing echolalia. Mm-hmm. Which made me, I mean, uh, that could be a whole discussion in itself. I'm like, whoa. I mean, well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have to say, I'm going to have a lengthy introduction to this episode. Or <laughs> I, I have to because we had this discussion before we even set this, set this appointment or set this date and time. But, um, you both are very educated people. You didn't walk into this blindfolded. You didn't walk in with rose colored glasses. You just, mm-hmm. You knew before I think I even mentioned it that, that the fact that RPM has been sort of pigeonholed with the facilitated mm-hmm. communication. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to say that. I think you offered that before I even went there. Yeah. And I know that after this episode goes up, I'm going to get a lot of flack, um, from various professionals in the, in the field. But what I'll say probably what I've thought about, I've thought about this for since we made, you know, the, the, uh, today's appointment, <laughs> I'm calling it appointment podcast interview. But I guess what I would say at the end of the day is you can talk about the fact that there are no randomized control studies, that it hasn't been, RPM has not appeared in any, any peer reviewed journal, that there are, even for me, I look at the website and some of the terminology and the case studies, there are a lot of red flags. And yet, and this is the yet, I defy anyone to look at a lot of these videos and in particular Benjamin's and explain to me what's going on. Yeah. And and that's why, I mean, for us, you're, you're right. I mean, we, I I mean, we went into it being very aware of, I mean, I think I mentioned to you when I brought it up to, and you may want to cut this out. I was basically, and she knew me. I, we'd worked with her for years. Yeah. That she basically accused me of child abuse. Um, because yeah. there, I mean, there has been cases, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, it, she, but I got a very, um, strong reaction, negative reaction. Yes. And we went into it skeptical. Um, but I mean, this has, we've seen it with our own eyes. This has yeah. worked. And I mean, I think the thing that people need to understand too about, I mean, there are, so obviously RPM has been around for a while. So there are, mm-hmm. I mean, you technically can't use the word RPM unless you've been trained by SOMA. So you can be. Yeah. I remember reading can, that. She calls it, you can be using something that I teach, but I, I'm not going to call it that. Yeah. You can't call it that either. Or, yeah. or, you know, that people are coming out with watered down versions of it. I mean, she mm-hmm. basically says you cannot touch the child's body. I mean, you can, there's no like touching of the arm, of the elbow, of the, you cannot touch 
Yeah. The child's, I mean, you hold a board and you cannot move the board. I mean, if you watch a video of, I mean, and and if you're being trained by someone, I mean, they will criticize you and and you instinctively, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could shift the board and they're like, you cannot. Yeah. Um, And it's funny. There's there's no trickery here because the, the goal, obviously, as we've been talking about is to fade prompts. Mm-hmm. And you can you can make all sorts of assertions, especially on day one of of this therapy. That okay, it's in a field of two. You've got someone behind them tapping their elbow or something like that, or giving them. All right, fine. You know, at first, and then you watch some of the later videos. Like, okay, what's going on here? This this you you've passed that point where you can. It, it's no longer chance. This goes back to what we're talking about in the kitchen. So, you know, for the professionals who who are predominantly skeptical. I would point out that um, the professionals have completely failed us. Completely. There has not been one... We've done every single thing that has been what we're supposed to do. None of it's worked. And the reason I wanted to go visit Soma was because we have... And I'm not exaggerating over the... Since Benjamin's been diagnosed, we have out of pocket spent a half a million dollars doing what the professionals have told us to do. And now for us to be sitting here, seeing with our own eyes that our son can finally express himself and show us his inner self. I, I really, I really don't care about the professionals, you know? And so I think it's important for people who are in the field of research, you know, I mean, I take my personal profession very seriously. And if I run into a brick wall like that, where I, I better look in the mirror and step back and say, what's going on here? There's a big paradigm shift that I wasn't aware of. And I think there's, the answers are not in my view right now in the field of, of, you know, of speech pathology. The the answers are in the field of neurology. We, and this is just, again, my hypothesis, but I believe that, you know, the, all of the connections in the brain between um, thought and, and uh, communication are not, that well mapped and that well understood for us and all the professionals that ever saw Benjamin to have assumed that his inability to communicate was automatically an un- inability to think or to think profoundly. Um, it just points to ignorance for all of us. I mean, you know, and, and yeah, that's why yeah. it's not it's singling anyone out. Yeah. It's more we're operating with a set of assumptions that are like you know, applying leeches to wounds or, you know, et cetera. I mean, in terms of where we are and understanding the brain and how the brain and the body and the brain and speech and all that interact. So I, I just, more and more families are going to get switched on yeah. and, and they're going to get switched on and they're not going to have worked with an SLP or anyone else in the field. And they're going to be like, okay, don't need that. Right. Yeah. So, so I, 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 that's what I would say to people who are in the field. You better get caught up with what's really going on here. The fact that Apple featured that video, yeah. this is the biggest corporation in the world. And of course you could say, well, they wanted to feature their iPad, but they, they showed very little technology. Mm-hmm. They were really about, you know, autism awareness and what's going on. And, mm-hmm. and they put their finger on it. At least they put their finger on our experience. That's really where we're at right now. Yeah. And before we started this uh, recording, we were talking in the kitchen and I, I think you mentioned Jeff, the idea that we still don't really understand what autism is at its core. And I think that it's a question I've been asking myself 
more uh, over the last um, year or so. Every so often I stop and I say to myself, what is autism? Because, you know, obviously we can, we are, we think in terms of autisms and the different manifestations that it is a spectrum and the, that phrase that saying you met one kid with autism, met one kid with autism. And, you know, my, one of the hypotheses, I guess, that I have in my, my head learning about RPM is that could it be, you know, just getting back to the, the rapid prompting thing. Could it be that some kids benefit and need rapid prompting? And could it be that some kids don't? Or do every, does every kid need rapid prompting? You know, so it, it's a tough, I, and I just, I think it just speaks to the diversity of experience. Well, I, I think, Jeff, what Ashley and I would both say about that is do what works. All right. Yeah. The, you know, I have seen so many labels be put on these things. And as I mentioned earlier, the gradations between all these different flavors of things, they exist for a reason because something wasn't working with some segment of the population. And so mm-hmm. clinicians who, who are trying their best to find an answer and, and I, you know, then they would try something else. And actually our experience yeah. has been that whatever these so-called researcher PhD people who are, you know, thunderously skeptical about things, they're not the people we've encountered. We've encountered, you know, throughout our time with Benjamin, people who are really trying to apply the research and be flexible about it because they can see, okay, this isn't working. Maybe I can bring in another technique. Now, they're always trying to pull from research methods, and I understand the importance of that. Yeah. But it's it's kind of like, you know, people in the medical field will say, you know, me- medicine is is a practice. It's, it's something yeah. you practice, right? It's not... Mm-hmm it's not already all figured out. And, uh, so I would say, I think we would say do what works. And if some kids, you know, do, and of course we've read the stories, they do ABA and they're, by the time they're five, six years old, they're, they're fully mainstream integrate. That's great. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I think especially with the most, uh, let, I would say at risk segment of the autism population, which are limited and nonverbal kids and, and, and adults, they should try this. They should absolutely try this because they, they've not had the ability to show what's going on in their mind. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then they've been given other techniques that have worked for some kids. Um, but if it hasn't worked for them, then I would say this should be high in the list of, of things to try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think with, um, I mean, I think RPM comes down to, it's, it's, it's some of it. It's a body like Benjamin will, will get frustrated because I don't have control of my body. Um, so it's, I mean, and then I'd recommend reading some of like, I don't know if you stumbled upon Edo in autism land there. Um, I yeah. but he has a book, which is excellent. He has a blog, mm-hmm. but he tells stories and he's pretty harsh on the ABA world, but he tells stories <laughs> about, you know, touch cat, touch cat. And he's like, I, you know, I know what the cat is, but I can't get my, yeah. hand to point to cat or and, and you know mm-hmm. they're they'll talk in front of him that he's not aware or but um but it's a body thing and even now that benjamin can communicate it's really hard for him to um like he he'll you know for example in the recess like i observed one time and some girl handed him the ball and he dropped it and then he got a little upset and i'm like mm-hmm. why did you get upset because I was embarrassed that my body didn't cooperate. So he wanted to Mm -hmm. be able to pick the ball up and throw it to her, but he didn't. And of course he's a teenager and he gets embarrassed. But Mm -hmm. so some of it is, 
um, I mean, it's, and it's frustrating for, because even now, I mean, you've, you saw Benjamin walk in the kitchen there. I mean, he just looked like your typical kid that he didn't look at you. He walked around, he's saying Mm -hmm. nonsensical words. Yeah. And yet, you know, this kid is, is studying seventh grade material and, and actually, you know, gets in these 90%. I mean, he takes exams, um, Mm -hmm. that they, he needs it through RPM. But, you know, he's getting good grades on the exams that he takes. But yet, you know, perception, you would never think that from what, I mean, what, from what the eye sees. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there is a lot of that getting the, the mind and the body to cooperate. Yeah. I, I think that um, as you, you can sense, Jeff, from what we're talking about, how much individualization has to happen for RP, let's say you're dealing with a, a population that would benefit from RPM, just for, for hypothetical. But then even to get all of those, let's say you had a hundred kids, we'll just stay in the field of kids right now, a hundred kids that would all benefit from RPM. The amount of individualization that you have to do, it's, it's one by one. It's the, labor intensive. Yeah. yeah. And so I think one of the reasons why even though we're very involved in the autism community and I, I won't mention any of the names cause I, yeah. I don't want to speak on behalf of, of that right now, but, <laughs> but I've been reluctant. I mean, we tell our story to all the people we've met through the various organizations we're part of. And I'd like for the organizations to, to, to be more involved because so much of the research actually needs money and funding and it gets directed through these types of organizations. But I'm also concerned in terms of our, Maybe grassroots is better for this because the reality is it has to be so individualized that first of all, you need people like Ashling who are saying, I'm going to spend, you know, 180% of my time figuring this out for Benjamin because it matters that much to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and and so, so yeah, we're kind of like, I, I, I don't know. I think that, that, um, we definitely got the impression from Soma that she's just not interested in the controversy or any of that. She wants to help families one by one and that's what she does. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, she's, she doesn't have any advanced degrees and it's just, it's not that world. I mean, this thing came out of a different world. It came out of yeah. families looking for help and a mother developing something for her own son own and then being yeah. willing to help others and other people. So, you know, so I don't know. It's a, I mean, I'm really glad that you're, you're putting the focus on it. I think if the, the professional community could kind of open their minds more and, and lean in more, um, that it could really help, but it needs to be understood that, that it's really a high degree of individualization because of different learning channels, different, you know, mm-hmm. abilities and, and so on. Yeah. And, and I, you know, because it's obviously an educational program, um, I think getting it school districts involved and like fortunate, we're fortunate that is small and they, and even with Benjamin, they had to learn. I mean, they didn't, they, the other child came in fully proficient mm-hmm. and, and they kind of had to see him go through some of the early stages and it took them, I mean, they, 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 they caught on pretty quickly or they accepted as our, but it, it, it wasn't without, some force on our behalf and then they finally saw but um you know benjamin now will go to high school in next year and we have to make a decision as to where he goes and we will approach our current school district um we're in the high school uh-huh. district. Well, yeah but you know 
Just, do you feel like it's just time to make that switch? You know, we, we don't know. We'll, 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 yeah. we'll, we obviously would have to get our district tuition is out yes. to do that. Yeah. And I mean, and that's why this is an educational method. And I, th- there are districts that are d- more so in Wisconsin who successfully mm. are doing it. Um, and it can be done. I mean, it needs, it needs direction, but it can work for kids in schools. And I think that's, you know, some, so some of that acceptance mm-hmm. that in believing that, uh, yeah, I believe this child can sit in, you know, a, a high school history class and actually mm-hmm. is taking in everything despite the fact that he may pace and back, you know, in the back of the room every so often. Um, and that they, you know, are taking the same tests as their peers, even though it is through RPM rather than verbally saying it or writing. But some of that, um, I think acceptance in the school system will help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think that's where we feel maybe part of our role is that, um, as we move forward and I mean, there's no question. I mean, if, if a school doesn't believe, I mean, this is how yeah. Benjamin, this is what works for him. This is, I mean, he's educated. This is his method of being educated and he's showing success. There's no, I mean, we won't turn back. Well, let me, I just want to interrupt you real quick. So, when was his last IEP? So we had one and um, we rewrote one in November. Now, okay, so I'm curious. Because he's doing grade level academic work, what does his IEP look like? He has five goals. Yeah. And they're all functional life skills. Okay. So he has no academic goals. And he actually, for the first time ever, you know, has part of, he's in the regular educational, he's got minutes in the yeah. regular educational um, setting. So, which has actually worked to our benefit that he was there because he has that. I mean, if he was in a therapeutic day school that didn't have a regular school, yeah. it would have been harder. But, um, yeah, he has all just functional. I mean, he, he still needs help to again, control my body. I got to go to Target and I have to maneuver the aisles and I got to pay. I mean, that's really hard for him. I'm impulsive. I, I want to run. I, I, you know, so he has to really work on things like that. And he knows that and he wants to work on it. Okay. But there's so still those all, kinds of things. Yeah. But the academics are looking great. Yep. So, it, yeah. So, um, going back to our consideration about high school, I can't believe I'm saying this given that his, what his IEP was in sixth grade, but we want him to go to college. I, he wants to go to college. Yeah. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about it, but you see the the kind of you know ambition he has. He he told us um, we asked we asked him actually Soma asked him. I was amazed at his answer, but just in a lesson, she asked him, you know, how do you think about the future and what would you like to do in the future? And I thought, well, what's he going to say? Well, he quickly came right out and said he wants to be a lawyer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're thinking, okay. Um, and of course, his interests in history and, you know, I mean, he's more of a kind of liberal arts versus whatever. But, um, and yet we've talked to one family whose son is very proficient in RPM and he can't get accepted into college because the colleges don't really know anything about this. And, you know, colleges have a lot more latitude. Um, and, and, uh, so there, I've seen some articles on that recently, but in terms of, you know, how the Americans with Disabilities Act and, I mean, IDEA, I think just applies to, to K through 12, I think. There was just a story last week. Did you see that? The one about Wall Street Journal? I don't um, know. About a, oh, I want it was a young, about a college age student. His father has been attending with him. Yeah, no, I did. Same one? Yeah. yeah. And you know what they say he uses? 
facilitated communication. Facilitated communication. That's what it was. Yes. And you know, the Tulane yeah. staff, which is where he goes to school, mm-hmm. said, I mean, they talked in the article about the fact that a little bit, I think that, you know, about facilitated communication, how it's controversial. Yeah. But yeah. the Tulane staff, they said they had no, con- they, they were completely convinced. I mean, they just yeah. looked at it and they're like, nobody had any question about that. And, and yeah. so, so yeah, I saw that and I thought it was a really positive sign that, you know, that word could start to spread and that colleges yeah. need to recognize it. Actually, I mean, think of how some of the se- segment of, of autism is thought of as being incredibly brilliant, right? Yeah. Incred- but the nonverbal, limited verbal side never, but just imagine now that we're getting insight into the actual minds of these kids. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about Stephen Hawking. So I'm I'm not saying that Benjamin is Stephen Hawking, but the idea is that there someone lost those abilities. And so no one questions it because they saw it before and they know that it's still thereafter through ALS. But imagine if autism in the way it affects kids physically and, you know, from a motor perspective, is more like ALS in that regard. And that in yeah. fact, there could be brilliant kids who are completely, you know, their life is just in, in, in a corner. So, well, I had to say, you know how I learned about that Wall Street Journal article? It was on Twitter, an academic bashing it. Well, I mean, facil- I have to, I mean, facilitated communication has a very checkered past. Um, but the, the, again, the problem though is that I feel like people have put this sort of, um, this anchor upon RPM and you make that association in people's mind with facilitated communication, all of a sudden it becomes something that it takes on its own life. It's like, Oh, it's that, you know, it's facilitated communication. It's yeah, in that same, dis- discounted um, right away. Yeah, it, exactly. So, and I know, you know, the interesting thing is I know like this much about facilitated com- communication. All you read when you, when you pull up a Google search on it is you'll read about the, um, the legal mm-hmm. proceedings about, you know, uh, false testimony and but um beyond that it's like all i knew was um when i got into ac is like facilitated communication bad don't even look at it yeah actually you know? <laughs> i mean i think the if the fundamental similarity between these is just the idea that these kids are smart and they can communicate and you know i think that's where where it stops i think that facilitated communication from what i understand of it there's a lot more hands on there's a lot more so i think that with rpm i'm sure it influenced the development of rpm to say look we have to be absolutely independent right we cannot be touching the, all the things that that ashing said about soma so you know what gives me great hope is how many schools are independently saying yes mm-hmm. right um Ironically, the school that we moved out of to move down here, we were in before and the kids were tuitioned out. Well, actually um, said yes, you know, and now there's a lot of risk with that because it's easy to say yes to it. But then do you actually go through and train people appropriately? And, you know, it's a the degree of individualization and all that. So it's so easy to talk about this as a controversy and to Mm -hmm. criticize it. But again, my message to the professionals out there. We are your clients and we don't yeah. really care what the research says. We want mm-hmm. our kids to function in society. So you're either with us and helping us. And most of us are not interested in pretending that Johnny can speak when he really can't. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some fringe people. Goodness. How many fringe people are there in the autism community? Okay. There's lots mm-hmm. of fringe people and it's always based on a deep seated wish, right? Mm-hmm. That, oh, I, if only. So. I don't have any ill will towards those parents that are out of their desperation, you know, hoping something that's not there. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, that's not us, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's not 
98% or more of the families that we come in contact with. These are smart mm-hmm. people, driven parents, not going to buy into something that's not there, mm-hmm. but willing to try something in the endless pursuit of, you know, helping our children. Ashley, did you want to say anything before we sign off? I think that's a good place no, to, uh, no, to I think, end. No, I think Jeff, I mean, it, yeah, it, it really, I mean, all I can say is it worked for, it's worked for Benjamin. It's worked for our family. And it really, I mean, it doesn't hurt to explore it, but it also, I mean, you, you need to remember that it there, it's not a magic pill. There's, it doesn't cure autism. It doesn't no, take away the symptoms. I mean, the, it, they still have autism. I mean, if yeah. you watch videos of Soma's son, I mean, this, he writes books, but he sits there and she still has to hold his hand walking on the road. I mean, they still have autism. They still need to work on a lot of, um, functional stuff that we all take for granted, but mm-hmm. it doesn't dispute. I mean, what we're giving them is we're giving them their mind and we're, we're giving them the, um, belief that we believe in them and that we assume competence and we assume intelligence. And I mean, that's, that's as bent to use Benjamin's words that that's, that lifts the despair. I mean, yeah. of what he would have felt. That I, I'm doing, I can't even master one plus one equals two because that's not, I mean, in some ways it's like someone using sign language. He's, he's means, and if you were, if I, my primary, primary method of communication is sign language and someone asked me to verbally speak, I mean, you wouldn't do it. And yet right. here's how he can communicate and now we can prove it. So it's, I mean, the, the proof is in seeing your child do it and yeah. it takes work. Um, but it can work. Yeah. And I think the, probably one of the biggest take, takeaways uh, for me is something that I've been hearing a lot, just, um, a lot of present presentations, books, et cetera, is that you have to presume competence. Mm-hmm. You always have to start from that point. And, um, yeah. yeah can I make a point about that? So, um, self-esteem. Think about how much, you know, public education, of course, People criticize it and all that, but how important they take self-esteem in terms of building a child's self-esteem so that learning and all everything else can happen. Mm-hmm. And that if self-esteem is low, that, you know, a lot of things don't happen. Well, it, the, if you think of this idea about presumed competence and you take it further, you're like, we're realizing now with Benjamin how low his own self-esteem is because for his entire life, he has struggled. And it's been a very visible struggle that other people can see. And he knows kind of, you know, he feels it. He knows that he's looked at in a different way. Mm-hmm. Dare I say discriminated against, mm-hmm. um, probably more than, than almost any other, you know, um, sub segment of our population because it's so visible and it's so different than the typical human experience. So the whole idea in my view about presumed competence and just looking at these people as, as individuals who want and need to have a positive self-esteem. We have so much work to do now to build up Benjamin's self-esteem so that he continues to have the confidence to show what he's capable of. So, yeah. Um, that makes anyway, that's sense. kind of a sub point and it may yeah, not yeah. be useful, but I think the idea of self-esteem is really tied into the the way RPM is set up and the yeah. reason reason why it works. Well, thank you both for inviting me into your home tonight to talk about RPM, talk about Benjamin's journey. Um, 
just so we are going to link to this, but just so people know, where can they find more information about Benjamin? His web, the web address for uh, the WordPress site you maintain, you know, offhand. Oh, you know, I don't. So if you want to add that, it's I'll add that myself. Or Benjamin's RPM journey, but I can't remember what the. Yeah, exact. Yeah. Come okay. Yeah, Benjamin's RPM journey. Dot WordPress. Yeah, 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 and maybe um, you know, I, I our other son, I'm gonna he's gonna be the next test. <laughs> so maybe yeah. come back in like a year's time, and we'll do RPM for verbal students. Well, check it out. Yeah, <laughs> I look forward to that. All right, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Well, okay, that was quite the talk. It was an emotional conversation. And I hope this conversation opens up some channels where I think uh, channels have sort of been closed. That's not a very elegant way of putting it, but let me, uh, let me start this conclusion by telling you that that interview you just heard was recorded in April of 2016. And uh, here we are, it's October of 2016. So you might be asking yourself, why on earth did it take me this long to get a conclusion and to release this episode? And uh, I'll give you first the easy answer. The easy answer is that it takes me a minimum of two months to get any episode uploaded from the time I interview the guest, in most cases, uh, simply because producing podcasts are labor-intensive enterprises. It just takes me time to listen to an interview, a conversation, to edit, to add the music, the outros, to clean up some of the sound. Um, And I take a lot of pride in that. And there's been only a couple of examples, I think, where I literally rushed an episode within a week to air. But um, I'm a busy guy. And so that's, okay, part of the reason. Now, The other reason I had delayed this was because I wanted some time to take to learn more about RPM and uh, read as much as I could on the subject before getting this out. And as I got to know more about RPM and the controversy surrounding it, I became ever more nervous about the kinds of reactions that I was going to get just from even bringing up the subject. Um, There's skeptics and proselytizers alike. And this is a very, very charged subject, especially the minute you start talking about facilitated communication, which a lot of people will forever link RPM to. So originally I was going to um, post a blog companion piece on my website, and then that turned into me creating a previous version of this conclusion of this outro Um, and just reading my thoughts online. And I decided I'm not going to do either of those for right now. Uh, What I wanted to do is just sort of end with uh, the most important thoughts um, in terms of my beliefs. And I think this is important because some of you are going to take the talk and infer things that may or may not be true uh, based on my reactions or questions to uh, Jeff and Ashling. So Let me sort of just summarize a few points here. So to clarify at least my position, this is only one person's opinion, remember that. So let me go with number one, point number one. Do I think Benjamin's communication is authentic? 
That's an easy one. For me, the answer is absolutely yes. Um, if Benjamin were my son, I would certainly not stop doing what he's doing. I'd only encourage him towards further independence and continue to work on those life skills that Jeff and Ashley say that they're working on right now. So yes, I think his communication is authentic. I had seen him live and through many videos doing RPM. If there is a trick or a subtle queuing system that Benjamin is receiving, I don't see it. I mean, believe me, I've tried and I've tried and there's nothing I've come up with. Um, feel free to go to the website, to Benjamin's website and take a look at his videos. Check out the video or I think I'm going to post two videos on my Facebook page, Conversations in Speech Pathology. Just look it up on Facebook. Check out those videos and Again, if you find a way that uh, we're being fooled, I would love to know about it because I certainly don't see it. There's just no reason for me to believe that his communication is anything but authentic. Okay, so point number two. RPM to me is still shrouded in a lot of mystery. It's definitely out there in the fringe. Most of the code evidence regarding its efficacy really comes from testimonials and hearsay. And you know, at least here in 2016, it's a pseudoscience. There's no question about it. Um, there's not pretty much nothing in the literature, and what there is is not something I would call high quality. So, um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Okay, point number three. The lack of evidence doesn't mean that we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, we need studies, good ones, but it doesn't look like anyone's doing them right now. And this is concerning. Now, if I talk about Benjamin or any number of the people I found online or through books or blogs, I know people out there, the researchers are going to laugh at me. These are single subjects. But at the end of the day, my sense is that RPM is helping some people. How many? I have no idea. What are the other possible causes? What are the essential elements of RPM that might be useful? I'll never know. My question and my challenge is, who is going to pick up this mantle and take this to the next level? We just don't need any more essays or papers out there rehashing the same arguments, either for or against RPM. And that seems to be all that you see out there. I can cite at least five different articles about why RPM is a pseudoscience. Point number four. So no, I'm not ready to jump on the next plane to Austin, Texas to learn RPM. Right now, I'll sit on the sidelines waiting for this thing to one day play itself out. And until that day, I'll keep reading with interest any new writings on RPM from both skeptics and believers alike. So wait, you might say, Jeff, you think Benjamin's communication is authentic, but yet you call RPM a pseudoscience. What gives? Well, yeah, I guess I do have two sort of uncomfortable positions. At the end of the day, the best answer I can give you is, I don't know. I guess you'd call that cognitive dissonance in action. Conversations in Speech Pathology was produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Jeff Steppen. If you like the show, please give it an honest review in the iTunes store. Any and all feedback on this and other episodes can be directed to me, Jeff at conversationsandspeech.com. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you next time.